0: Welcome to The Hill is always greener, a show where four friends have chill discussions about Sonic the Hedgehog to distract themselves from the inevitable passage of time and their own rapidly waning ability to relate to the youth. I'm Cyberlink. I'm
1: Game Buddy. I'm Falero. I'm Rock the
0: Jake. And we have a very special guest with us this episode. Everybody say hello to Ryan McDonald. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Woo!
2: No, no, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and honor. I, I, I love it. Thank you so much for, for having me.
0: So for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, could you kind of introduce yourself, maybe some of your history with Sonic and Sega and all that good stuff?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess like a lot of people, I, uh, well, I, I guess I should back up. So aside from being you know, an avid Sega fan, I, uh, I'm a video game journalist, I guess I should say, in, in my, my previous life. But basically, uh, yeah, I started like when I was like. 14, 15, writing about video games in like a local newspaper column. I kind of realized that like, man, people get these games for free. I was like, you know, I was trying to figure out like why do these people write these <laughs> newspaper stuff. And then like, oh, they get them for <laughs> free. I got you. So I, you know, hit up this like local newspaper dude, and I was like, hey, you guys got a column about video games? And anyways, long story short, I started writing about video games, and you know, sure enough, they would send me these games, and that turned into like this this local radio show thing. And then I started writing for well, then that got me a ticket into getting into CES, which was like the E3 before E3, obviously. Yeah. And then uh, right. going go, go there, I got to meet some people that, that worked for like magazines like Game Informer and such. And so I started freelancing for those dudes. And then um, you know, then that turned into you know, the, like 1996, the, the internet came around, and there was this thing called Gamespot, and I found my my home there, and I basically worked there for like almost like 20 years, basically to like 2014. And, and I still, I still dabble in the video game business a little bit here and there, but uh, that, that kind of brings me up to, to here we are today on, on the, the hills, always greener, but uh, yeah. So yeah, that's about my, my brief, my brief history of the video game industry. And then as far as like Sega goes, you know, I obviously was just like everybody else. You know, I, I was I was hooked from the Sega Master System, obviously. I loved I got my hands on that it was like the, the Sega Scope three D version, right? It, was, it came in the big giant box and it had the <laughs> the, the light phaser and it had the three D glasses and that thing was awesome. And so you yeah, had like Missile Defense Three D. But yeah, the, like Action Fighter, like I mean, there were so many great games for that thing, like the Spy versus Spy stuff. Um Fantasy Star. Like it's crazy to think how many fantastic games were on the, the Master system. But yeah, then obviously later on then the, the Sega Genesis came out and that was pretty much like you know, like the greatest thing. You know, I, yeah. When you stop and think about it, man, the Sega Genesis lasted for a really long time, and there was like so many good games from the start to like the end of it. Like, I was, you know, a huge fan of, you know, Altered Beasts in the arcades, and so the, the second I found out that that game was the pack-in game for the Genesis, I was just like, you know, oh, I'm done, right? Like, so I was like, trying to, you know, hard sell my parents. Like, I worked at Circuit City or something. I was like, it's got stereo sound. You, you need to buy me this thing. <laughs> and and like, you know, I, I lucked out because my birthday was in November, and so that just is like like the Magic Month, if you think about it, for like game, oh, you know, game yes. console releases, right? Oh, yeah. So it was like, it was, I would always like, it was just like, hit it real good, right? And so like my parents, I looked out, my parents, you know, they got me like a Sega Genesis or whatever, and, and, then, and then, you know, I can go on and on about the games, you know, from the beginning of that stuff. Like I remember Last Battle was like one of those games that was weird, but awesome at the beginning. And then, and then, it, but it was weird because we you think about it, because I was an alter Beast packing kid, you know, Sega kind of, like, went by me, to be honest. Like, when it first came, you know, it was, like, it came in, like, a lot of people, I think, first introduction to Sonic was the fact that they got a Sega Genesis that had Sonic mm-hmm. with it. So for somebody right. like me that didn't have that game, like, Sonic kind of went by me at first, to be honest. But, but you know, later on, it was, like, you know, obviously I played me some Sonic, obviously, Fantasy Star 2, The Adventures of Batman and Robin. I mean, there were so many great games for that thing. And then later on, you know, mm. they I got way into Sonic CD for the Sega CD when it came out. But uh, yes. anyways... Right. And then it was like and it was wild because I think that was like right around like, I mean, man, we're getting a little little far ahead in our history already. But like like 91, I got this uh, job. I was probably like 14 or 15 at a local video game store called High Tech Game Center. And it was like the best thing in the world because it was like, you know, we rented games, we bought and sold games. Uh, we let people come in and play, you know, games on the TV for, like, you know, a couple bucks for, like, an hour or whatever it was. Um, so, between that, you know, I obviously blew all my money that I made on, like, everything I get my hands on, like, you know, <laughs> Game Gear, TV Tuner. And then it was, like, you know, later on, it was, like, you know, I spent a fortune on the Nomad. Yeah, it was, yeah it's, it's crazy because that's, like, right around the time that, like, you know, I started transitioning to, to writing for newspapers and stuff and getting, you know into ces where i shouldn't have been as a kid to be honest right and like <laughs> check it out you know like i'm mean, you know i probably like i wonder how many people actually put that sega vr on their face but you know i was i was one of those people i got to put it on and try it out and like i remember all that stuff and it was you know fantastic like um that ces where like sega had the sega you know cd there and they had like you know batman returns and it was cool world and like yeah like it, they were like the kings of that show but uh but yeah i could go on and on um i'm, I'm sure i'll you know We'll talk more about it but that's that's my i would say all the the broad strokes until you know that's when i started working in the video game industry and we started doing stuff like you know like the saturn like we were at i think the first e3 where they announced the saturn while we were there and it was just like you know not only announced it but it was or it was out that's right they, they were like oh yeah by the way it's out and so i remember yeah oh and it was goodness. like this like super crazy thing and we were just like what like we just literally jumped in the car and like drove to like the nearest Toys R Us (laughs) to try to go get one but um but yeah so so I'll wrap up my Sega there because we're starting to get into I think some of the neighborhood we're starting to get into is the 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 Saturn and obviously the Dreamcast which is what we're here to talk about today right
0: I find it funny you brought up that uh CES Sega CD demo with like Cool World and Batman Returns on it because I want like somebody dumped that uh ISO like maybe a couple of years ago. And I swear I watched that not three days ago, just completely oh, out of wow. nowhere. So that's right. Fresh in my memory. I know exactly the one you're talking about.
2: Oh yeah. that was like, they had like, I think it was like Joe Montana and like, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like all that stuff during that time, like Sega was still the king of the world. Like if you think about it, it wasn't until that Saturn business came along that, you know, they were, they were, you know, they, that they were the top of their game. Right. So, uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, you know, one quick story I'll tell you that I have never told this story, but I'll tell you guys this one that, you know, around this time I was, uh, you know, writing for these newspapers or whatever. And like this young lady worked for Nintendo and just like, you know, people talk about the Nintendo versus Sega thing. And like, how real was it? This is, th- this was the moment I knew it was like, definitely real was, um, so think about it. I was just some kid. I was really like 15, probably, you know, maybe 16, but I don't think so. I was like, like 15. And I remember this lady that worked for Nintendo asked me, Hey, yo, She's like, you got a press pass, right? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, so you go in the press room. And like, just to give everybody some context of what the press room at CES was like, it was this room that basically had all these giant binders. Because like, think about it. This is like back in the day before like the internet, right? So... There was just like giant binders that these companies would like have in this press room. And it was basically, you know, like, so Sega would have a binder and you would open it up and it would have like all these press materials. So it was like, you know, press releases about the new products coming out, you know, all their sales figures, all the stuff they would do. And it, it was huge. I mean, they were like big binders filled with information. Right. And they had like tons of them. Right. And so, yeah, you know, obviously the fancier ones, you know, you know, you get the idea. But long story short, you know, press people could go in there, but people that worked for like Sega Nintendo and stuff, they didn't go in there because obviously they weren't members of the press. But I remember this lady asking me, she's like, hey, yeah, so when you go in there, if you see like the Sega press kits or whatever, she's like, just feel free to just like nudge those right into the trash. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Oh, my
2: goodness. (laughs) And it was, like, one of those things you're, like, you know, as a kid, you're thinking, like, is this lady, like, fooling me? Is she, like, trying to, like, test me? Is she, like, kidding me? Like, what's (laughs) happening? But it was, like, you know, to this day, I swear by it, I remember looking at her face and, like, she was, like, 100% serious. She's, like, yeah, so go do that, basically, right? And I was just, like, oh, okay. And so I I remember walking into the press room and it was, like, you know, I was going to go to the press room anyways because they had, like, free cookies and, like, coffee or whatever, right? But, um and I remember getting in there, and I did see the stack of like, you know, and it was like no way, you know, like that's just like, and you know, and, yeah, so I didn't do it obviously, but uh, but yeah, I thought it was you know always interesting that she did ask me to, you know, did she ask other people that worked at the press? Yeah, there <laughs> were young kids, you know, like,
1: and like, did they do it? I don't know, but uh, I always thought that was pretty pretty awesome, but uh, but yeah tried to recruit you to do some light corporate subterfuge <laughs> <laughs>
4: right, right?
1: draft oh, yeah, you totally. into the console wars officially <laughs> but uh but yeah Sega and
2: Nintendo were both two of the two of the two of the first companies that definitely sent me games at home when I was a kid and uh so yeah so I can't, I can't I couldn't hold anything against them by by any means but uh but yeah so there's my 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 quick uh Sega history if that if that helps us get started there
0: Oh, that is fantastic. Thank you so much. Isn't
3: it that. nice having someone who was actually there and knows things?
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I love all our other guests, but this is someone who was
3: actually there during the war,
0: <laughs> during the war, <laughs> oh. <laughs> there on the front lines.
3: It's actually fascinating to me to find out someone that actually was like drawn to the Genesis by Altered Beast. Like we were just joking before like, oh man, yeah, when they changed it to Sonic, that's when they when they really kicked off. But no, apparently like some people really love that one. Guess that was a different time. Oh yeah, no,
2: cuz I remember going to it was like even Toys R Us and it was like the display game they had was Tony La Russa baseball. And it was like, you know, you saw it sitting there in the case and like Tony La Russa was on, you know, display mode or whatever. And it was like it was like if I remember right it was that, and I think I was looking at a, a TurboGrafx-16 next to it, too, with, like, Legendary Axe or whatever. Yeah, I just remember Sega was clearly the choice. And, and, yeah, like I said, I had the arcade experience, so playing Altered Beast in the arcade... You know, just you know, there was no question. It was like if I could play that game at home, then it was like you know. That's the funny thing As a kid you always think that like if I could just get this one thing, right? <laughs> if I could just get this Sega Genesis yeah. with all the beat, I will not need anything ever, ever again, right? And it was like <laughs> I remember thinking that 100, percent right? And then it was like you get Ultra Beasts at your house and you, you go through it like once or twice. You all right now? I need to, I need something else, right? And It was like, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, and yeah, and that was the thing that you know, that was amazing about that system, right? It was just like there were so many great. I mean, Shinobi was an arcade game, you know. Later on, we got Shadow Dancer. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's oh, yeah. this is one game that a lot of people don't realize, and this is going to tie us into our Dreamcast talk in a little bit. But there's a game called, uh, what was it called General Chaos? I think it was an EA game. You guys remember General Chaos? General Chaos was an amazing game. It was basically like three dudes on one side, three dudes on the other side. And it was like this like real, um, I don't want to say a real-time strategy game, but it kind of was. It was almost like... Um, yeah, it was like you're steering these three guys to like throw grenades and like shoot at each other and stuff. And it's funny cuz like if you think about Power Stone later on, I know it's kind of a stretch in terms of like the mechanics in some ways, but uh maybe it's kind of just the isometric view in some kind of ways. But yeah, I mean, I think that was we're talking about the Sega Genesis game, but um yeah, there was just so there was just so much to that system. It had so yeah, it had legs for days as they would say, right? Like and then and you know, obviously with the 32x and the Sega CD is like you know people could you know argue all they want about how good or bad that was for that system or their business or whatever and it's like you know the bottom line is a as a, as a kid and a consumer and and somebody actually that worked at that video game store at the time when the 32x came out it was like I could tell you that a lot of people recognized the 32x for what it was and that was kind of like I guess if you really wanted to play a better version of of uh was it was it the virtual virtual racing right it was virtual racing yeah. and then it was like, then they had that Star Wars and it was like you could see it, it was like kind of better right it was kind of mostly better but it was like you know is it is it buy me a new peripheral better probably not but you know the Sega CD was different obviously cuz at least that had the ability to play you know full motion video in some kind of fashion right so people could see Night Trap and they could see the difference between the graphics you could gain with having that CD rom versus just the cartridge right and it was pretty clear that right. like you know yeah if you wanted to drop that that 300 bucks to get that ability to, to see those kind of games. And yeah, you know, that was a clear choice, but that was, that was the neat thing about back then is like, if you think about how the progression was back then, that's something we don't have now. It's like back then it was crazy. Cause like you'd go from the Nintendo and, and the master system to then the super Nintendo and Sega Genesis to then, you know, then the CD-ROM came into it with like the TurboGrafx and the, and you know, I'll say that the, you know, the TurboGrafx CD was fantastic for the day. It was like they, you know, It came from the desert like there there was just so much they were trying to do with it and and just the quality and the sound to be honest like when you played fighting street that's what they called street fighter on that cd-rom system back in the day right when you played fighting street and you heard you know that that audio is like it it didn't seem like that you know today it probably wouldn't seem like like that big of a deal but coming from you know the the beeps and boops and the 16 bit you know and the 8-bit you know noises that we heard in those games to then you know full-blown you know voices and music and everything it was just like wild right it was just well and then and then take that one step you know further later on once we went to 3d and i remember thinking you know when i first saw i think it was uh was a battle arena Toshinden. i think it was either it, i think it was battle mm. arena Toshinden, and it was also then um what was the dragon game um panzer dragoon right panzer dragoon i remember yeah. seeing those oh, games yeah and, like, you know, at this point, like, think about this. Like, I remember thinking, like, I was not unintelligent in some kind of way, even as at, at that age or anything. But, yeah, I remember thinking, like, man, like, you know, this TV that I've had since I was a kid that played, you know, my Nintendo and my Sega Genesis. You know, is it, is it even going to be able to handle that? Like, is it going to, you know, <laughs> yes. able, is that even a thing? Right? And then, sure enough, you know, plugging that stuff in and it's like, yep, you know, that's, that is a TV that plays stuff. I don't know. Like, it's just wild to think that, you know, now we are, are here today with 4K stuff and VR and everything else that we're running around with. And it's just like, it's just, it's madness. Like, if anything, like the one thing I will say is like, you know, when I think about how, you know, if I want to get deep for a second, let's just get real deep real real quick. Like if you think about like, it, it's kind of wild. Like, you know, when I think about like, like life, right? Like when I think about it, it's weird to think about the history that we know. Cause like, if you think about it, if you could go like, you know, let's say you could pick, right? Up till now, you could pick, any time to be alive, right, as a video gamer, like, I think we kind of hit it just right. Like, I, you know, like, if you think about the time we, we got to see, we got to see everything like, you know, we got to see the Nintendo, you know, backing up a little bit, you got to see the, the Atari. The Nintendo, say, you know, all the way up till now. So it's like, you know, obviously you can imagine everything's going to get bigger and better from here. But if you're thinking like, you know, being able to be like some kind of like video game historian or time traveler, like which time period would you pick? You would probably pick this time period. I think we are living in like the best video game time period that has ever existed. Like it's, it's wild to think, you know, people talk about 1996 being this magic year when like Metal Gear and Zelda came out and all that stuff, right? Like some of the best games ever in that one year. And then but you stretch it out over this section of time and it's like, you know, this is this is the golden age of video games, right? Like if this is to continue on for another thousand years or however many years from now, you, you people will look back at this time period, right, from like the the late nineteen seventies till you know, certainly till now, hopefully, right? And further as being the start of this whole crazy thing. So it's it's kinda wild. Sometimes I imagine myself as being a video game time traveler and, you know, I can't remember <laughs> making the choice to be here during this time period. But it feels right. It feels like, uh, you know, like this is I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to play these games. I'm supposed to cool. be on your <laughs>
1: podcast telling you guys about this. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yes, I I really I really uh, have to agree. I, I think you're I think you're right on the money. I even had a, a recent thing where I, you know, I decided for for some uh, uh, personal financial responsibility reasons to say like, I, you know, I'm probably just going to chill out and not pick up any big releases until later this year and at first i was like a little bummed because there's a there's a few i'm looking forward to and then it just kind of dawned on me it kind of just just washed over me like a wave realizing like oh my goodness i have so many games in my backlog and old games i could replay or like free indie games or or you know just go browse um like like itch.io for like you know the five dollar games that people are making and i i did i had a similar feeling of like wow it really is, like, the best time to be a player of video games. <laughs> and
3: given for, like, yeah. sort of, like, letting it, like, kind of jade you a little bit. It's like, oh, there's too many good things. So <laughs> it kind of, it does wash over you, like, it's like, oh, yes, caviar again. <laughs> <laughs> I had that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: and mean, there is something to say about, you know, paralysis of choice. But on the other hand, it's just amazing that we, you know, live in such an era where we do have that wealth of choices. I know for a fact that, you know. As much as I'm looking forward to some of the big stuff coming out this year, I have had just as much, you know, really good, you know, game time rediscovering stuff that I missed out on the first time or that I haven't touched since I was a kid or whatever. And it's just nice to know that there is such a wealth of content for Basically, anybody, no matter what your interests are, there's going to be something for you, and that's just something really special about that.
4: It's also, to, to further the, the discussion, um, and this is something I mentioned when we recorded our Sonic Frontiers episode a while ago, that we really are living in like an amazing age for gaming because we have this new crop of game developers and like idea makers who – Essentially, grew up playing the same games that we all did, and so that's why we have stuff like Breath of the Wild and Sonic Frontiers and the God of War reboot, and just like we and you know those are like the big AAA titles and stuff like that. And we're stepping into this new era of video games that's essentially made by our peers, and it's amazing. I think the other
2: thing that is fantastic is we're also starting to get to relive some of these games in a different way. Right. So it's like, I don't know if you guys have played, you know, there, you know, there's been a couple of them, but there's been a couple really good versions of like the legend of Zelda made in VR now. Right. And it's like, you know, to do mm-hmm. that in VR or like, you know, they just came out with like a, a straight up version of half-life that they, they have redone. I think it's called black Mesa oh, or something yeah. like that. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Or even like the, um, like some of the, uh, like the Mario 64 decompilations and, and, unofficial PC ports like that too. Oh yeah. I mean like
2: yeah, like all that stuff is just so incredible. And it's like I mean, like you said, like some people you know, like one of the, the coolest things I played last year was a mod for I think it was a Half Life Alex mod called the the Gunman Chronicles. And it's just, it's just this guy that makes these mods for Half Life Alex that basically turn into a section of like what's like to be John Wick, right? And it's Ooh. like I mean that's just some <laughs> some dude. That's just some guy somewhere making that stuff. And it's like i mean it's just it's yeah yeah like between that stuff like you're saying and then like over on the like the quest side if you if you're looking at the quest they've got that app lab thing and it's like the app lab thing is basically you know people experimenting and making little playable like demos and games and stuff and it's like all that stuff's free and it's like between i mean yeah you could honestly between that stuff and i mean you could actually probably get away with not really paying a whole lot of money for 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 games these days if you were just bouncing around between the free stuff you know but um yeah, yeah, like you said, it it, it it is an incredible time to be alive. Yeah, by all means.
3: But it's not the nineties, so I'm upset. Let's go back then. Talk about this time.
1: To the 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 very end of the nineties, anyway.
3: That's yep. true. Oh it's... no. No, no, you made me sad again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we we do have to warp back to the very, very late nineties because this week we are talking about The Sega Dreamcast, pour one out. Yeah, the Dreamcast is one of those systems that I unfortunately did not have back during its heyday. I did not get mine until probably a decade or so after it went off the market. But it was one of those things that I always admired from afar. Like, I have distinct memories of coming across a demo kiosk in, like, a Circuit City and playing that first boss battle from Sonic Adventure and just being completely mind blown and there there might have been a time where i would have gone with that but you know when you're a kid it's basically like okay your parents will get you one game console and you've got to commit to that for the rest of the generation and by that <laughs> point our family was already an n64 house so you know which fine by me some of my favorite games are on that system but
3: yeah anytime they sent any time they sent you sega stuff in the mail you had to shove it in the trash that was the rules of the house <laughs>
0: Yep. <laughs> Yeah, like, the Dreamcast was always a fascinating system, even as somebody who didn't own one at the time. And I still think that it is, like, one of the just generally coolest systems ever made, even if it was, you know, incredibly short-lived.
1: I I think I've shared the story before, but it just sticks in my mind forever that... Ah, uh, I can't recall. It, it had to have been some magazine that a friend shared with me or, or it could have been TV coverage of the announcement on some, some channel. But I remember finding out about the Dreamcast coming out like pretty early in 1999 and like, almost bringing like a business proposal to my parents (laughs) saying that I would I would like to start earning money to put towards purchasing this thing and so I was doing you know extra chores and oh man I think even um had to be talked out of like uh putting up at our I think it was the bulletin board at our church like oh I'll cut your grass for (laughs) some money and my parents having to be like you're 10 and uh, we don't really want you going over to strangers' houses to do that just yet. Um, but when when the date come came, I think uh, I think I'd only managed to save up about half of it. Um, and so, of course, my parents, like I'm sure, just saw how destroyed I would have been <laughs> <laughs> if if I'd have failed. So they they paid the other bit, and I remember we went to the the our local mall and picked it up on nine nine ninety nine from our local babbages. Mm. and got home hooked it up think yeah in a couple of weeks we were be mo- we would be moving uh so that was like our last you know our the, my last big life event in that house and it was not until i got it home and you know booted up sonic adventure for a couple hours that realized oh wow you need one of those little memory card things to <laughs> oh, save no. your game Uh-oh.
0: so <laughs> same same thing happened to me with kingdom hearts on ps2
1: I, I definitely remember putting on a brave face, and I think my parents, again, being very just just reading my emotions, were like, "Okay, well, we'll just just give it a little bit, and we'll see. Maybe we can maybe we can go get one in a little while." And I was like, "Okay," and I I just played the first bit of sonic adventure maybe dozens of times until i was able to get a, a nice. memory card <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it was happening
3: it was happening many times for you <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
3: over and over and
2: over the, you know the, the thing for me is i remember it was almost like there was like three time periods when we talk about the dreamcast and it's like because when you talk about the dreamcast you got to talk about the end of that saturn it's like when when sega pulled that move with the saturn like a lot of people don't realize that they kind of i don't even think we realized it at the time to be honest but like they kind of like sealed their fate in some kind of ways with some of those retailers right like the way they did the yeah. saturn a lot of people you know don't realize that there was a lot of this retailers that missed out on those sales and they kind of like felt burned by sega and so that was kind of like right then and there Part of the end of the road, right? Because like, even with the Saturns themselves, it was like some of the retailers re- refused to sell that thing because they you know weren't in on the day one surprise, right? So, like mm-hmm. that, you know, that's kind of like the first thing. And the second thing is like if you remember Sega's attitude, you know, attitude in their marketing and everything up to that point, in some kind of ways, aside from like the weird Saturn stuff, was that you know everybody you know knew Sega, Sega! Sega and like they knew it was like this edgy kind of hardcore, cool, you know, bad ass kind of thing. And so like I remember when. We started hearing the rumblings about the new system, you know, it was kinda like, you know, some of us I think were in the hopes of like, you know, it's gonna be like the Genesis two or whatever. But I think if I remember right, they I don't know if they did or somebody did. It was like one of the re-releases of the Genesis, I think was called Genesis Two or something like that. And it was like, Oh, it kind of burned that name, right? So long story short, when, you know, we got closer to finding out more about the system and we, you know, started hearing about, you know, specs and, you know, online and, you know, all this wild stuff, and it was like, you know, we were all hopeful and and then, we, you know, especially when you heard the, the the code names, right? There was, like, two code names that kept on going around. It was, like, Katana and Black Belt. And, like, we didn't know exactly, you know, some of the stuff. And, you know, obviously over time we, we realized that there was two systems, right? There was the one that was the Black Belt, which I think because they called the the Saturn 2 in some ways. And then there was obviously Katana, which is what we would find out to be the Dreamcast later. Right. But, like, long you know, long story short, like, that stuff was coming and, like, we were, we were excited. And there was also this other weird thing that was happening in video games around this time that, that – is is kind of weird that you you know you might not think about it, but it's weird. I, you know, I remember distinctly because the Saturn was like Sega's thing. It was like they were going to make it like a an entertainment like moment. They were going to make it like uh, this mm-hmm. moment where mm-hmm. like like video games and movies and TV all came together and like one big thing. And like so, if you remember, like there was like you know, especially in Japan, right at first, they were doing like this really big push to have like movie stars and like you know television stars and stuff like surround themselves around like you know like the launch of the dreamcast and so like if you remember like there's this big giant launch party they did in japan for the dreamcast announcement and it was like yeah they had all these celebrities there and like they really played it up this whole like celebrity thing and like you know that that's why I, you know i say that there's like three distinct periods of the dreamcast history that i remember because it's like there was this whole japanese thing that was happening that was very different than what was going to happen later in america and that was like them doing like this weird push toward like uh you know it being like this mainstream thing that everybody needed it was going to have this online component to it which was a first for you know this console in this kind of way and like you know the ad campaign i don't know if you guys remember in japan was like pretty wild they basically had like it was the japanese oh i don't remember that dude's name There there was the japanese president
1: like straight up like the real dude it was uh his name was hidekazu yukawa he was the managing director at Sega. He not only starred in those commercials but also made an appearance in the Shinmu titles as himself. He sadly passed away in 2022, but we have included a compilation of those commercials in our show
2: notes. That dude, he was the star of like those commercials and like basically those commercials if you guys don't know were pretty much him like, you know, walking down the street and he like over like school children like saying like, "Oh, the PlayStation is, you know, is is, you know, fantastic or whatever. And he kind of like put his head down. Right. And then like, he'd come back later on and like the kids would be like, Oh, I hear the dreamcast is going to do this, that and the other. And he kind of perk up or whatever. And like, they had this whole, like this series of commercials that featured this, this actual Sega Japanese president where he would basically, you know, feel bad about, you know, if the the dreamcast wasn't doing good or whatever, but then, you know, he'd, he'd hear people get excited about certain games and he'd be, all right, we're doing good. And, and so it was, it's, it's, really wild ad campaign, but um, that was the whole thing they did in Japan. And and that was the bummer thing. It was like that launch in Japan, right? The launch in Japan only had like, I think it was like four games. It was like Godzilla. Oh, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was, was there a Virtua Fighter? Yeah, it was Virtua Fighter. And then there was like that Pen Pen Triathlon game or whatever it was. But uh, yeah. But yeah, so it was like kind of terrible. It was like, it was like there wasn't that many games. You know, sure, there was a bunch of games on the hook and people knew they were coming. But yeah, it was a really not so great launch. And so I remember that was the thing for us. It was like, you know, the hardware was great but you know where were these games and so you know they looked out in america cuz you know we're talking about like i think it was like it was it was it was just like i think it was like you said 999, right oh yeah that was right They had yeah. that genius marketing plan 9999 right in the us in japan it was not as great right 98 was whenever that happened, right? And so, and then, uh, but yeah, when 999 happened in America, like by then they had Midway on board, they had Capcom on board, like Bill Gardner at Capcom was a huge fan of the Dreamcast. And like they had, that's why they had like Power Stone and that's why they had, uh, they had they had like three games, I think from Capcom. I can't remember the other ones, the Capcom, Marvelous
0: Capcom or something. It was Power Stone. It was, uh, what's the other one? That's the one I remember because, you know, the other launch games, you know, they had Mortal Kombat Goal. They had Soul Calibur, one of the best launch games Oh, of all yeah, time totally. you know hydro thunder uh nfl 2k sonic adventure natch ready to rumble like it was it was an incredible lineup
2: oh yeah they had like yeah they had like you know it was like nearly 20 games or something crazy they had that rally game they had tons of of great games in the u.s launch and they and they tried to do a little bit of that you know i remember that that entertainment angle where they were trying to sell the dreamcast is more of a thing than just a video game console but like um but yeah, long story short, yeah, they had that It's Thinking campaign, if I remember right, in America that was kind of weird. Yeah, but like, oh, uh, yeah. right? like that stuff was wild. But like um I,
0: I, I love those commercials where they go inside the Dreamcast, you see all the characters hanging out. Like oh, that yeah. was such that was such a formative memory for me back in the day.
4: Man, stay off the lights be. My bad. Sonic Adventure on Sega Dreamcast. It's
2: well, I mean that that moment though when, when they first came out with that name and they announced that it was actually going to be called the Dreamcast I remember we were like I know it's yeah you know, probably ambiguous now because we hear it and stuff but back then we were just like oh what like at first we were just like that sounds like a mistake right <laughs> and it was like <laughs> yeah right, it was like Dreamcast <laughs> I, I get it right I get the idea but it's also just like you know what happened to Katana what happened to Black Belt what happened to Kick it Yeah, that's right and so like so that was the thing we were like oh but you know whatever and I, if I remember right they actually that was pulled from like a, a contest they did I think they had a contest where like five thousand people or whatever got to put their name in to name the next sega system and and that's what they pulled out of the hat i guess
3: right but um they actually had a poll as far as i know and that like dreamcast was like the third most popular one so they went with the one that the people didn't even like the best oh my goodness that's sega (laughs) doing their own thing
1: that's wild. Can only I, I, I can only imagine it was the third most popular, but probably the easiest one to like copyright internationally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? That's probably true. Like, uh, and it's weird.
2: Why did they have the what was the orange symbol in America and like the the the, the was it the blue
3: in Europe? That, yeah, there's a whole thing on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, apparently there was another company that had an orange swirl for their uh, business in Europe, so they switched it to blue to, you know, get around that. I believe
3: it's Tivola Games, if that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, I'd like a German.
0: I think that's right, yeah. Where
3: are they from? Well, either way, it's like... Because I'm looking at my Dreamcast right now down here with a blue swell. I am the only one here with one of those.
1: <laughs> I always thought that was interesting that it was different colors. Because I, I mean, now that I think about it, is it more red in Japan compared to the orange in North America? Mm.
0: I I looked into that because I had heard that as well. I my understanding is that you know it's orange everywhere, but the only like. Looks like a different shade in uh, North America because of just like okay. printing quality and stuff like that. So it looks it looks the same in game, but not on the boxes.
1: See, that's interesting because although this is the early internet era, it is also like the great, um, uh, you know, like all of that hearsay rumors. Like, I'm pretty sure that was a thing I heard just from some random person was like, oh, well, you know, in Japan, the logo's red because, you know, it's different. It's different everywhere. I'm like, and now years later, I'm like, wait, was that actually true? <laughs> you know, the old like <laughs> Luigi and Mario 64. Um <laughs> It is so interesting to hear you bring up the... To to go back to, like, the Saturn announcement and just, like, talking about Sega's marketing attitude... And it sure does seem like now that we have years of hindsight that that, like, and the Sega Saturn is available right now was, like, the final nail in the coffin of, like, you can be a rock star uh, in your advertisements, but when you, tried to, you know, try to do that and kind of, like, accidentally piss off your retail partners, mm-hmm. like, that feels like the the oddity of, like, the 32X and the CD add-ons, like, which, which had their positive things but weren't like you said, like pretty expensive and like, uh, uh, especially the 32 X, like never seemed like it had a real, like, uh uh like go to like this is what you get it for and it, right. it sure seems like that saturn announcement was like uh-oh like things are going to start going downhill for all you know sega does what nintendo don't yeah. <laughs> as far as that that attitude
2: no it was 100 and like you know at the time it was i remember thinking like Yo, why why did that happen like that and i think you know the reality was you know, in some ways, I, you know, I'd have to say it was related to what happened later with the Dreamcast, too, because if you look at, you know, in some ways it was just like, you know, like the Dreamcast was like, a like kind of like the best system at the worst time. Right. It was like, yeah, it, yeah, it was like if if they, you know, because like you know, I'll say it out loud. I remember being I think it was the Tokyo Game Show, like straight up a week. Was it like a week or two weeks after the launch of the Dreamcast in America? And, like, that's when they, you know, Sony dropped the hammer, right? That's when Sony was just like, oh, by the way, yeah. here's the PlayStation 2. And, like, you know, we knew as far back as, like, <laughs> I think it was, like, 98, maybe, even that they, you know, kind of what the rumblings of the PlayStation 2 were, kind of, you know, I think at that point we knew it was going to be DVD player. So that was, like, already kind of, like, that sounds like bad news for for Sega, right? But then it wasn't until I think we actually saw the official specs that it was, like, 100%, like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, it's, like, literally, Sony just, like, wanna let you know you got about, you know, you know, depending on how you count the calendar, right? You got a year you know year, eighteen months before uh before the end. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like we all knew it. And like, you know, that was the crazy thing. It was like I remember we did this launch special for for GameSpot TV and like we were doing this really big, cool thing. You know, we interviewed Peter Moore and, you know, we did this whole bit on all the games and like, here are the five best games you should get. And like the thing was, you know, when it was coming down to like, you know, are, are we going to tell people to buy this thing? Is it, are we going to say, yes, we recommend it. And the reality was we did obviously, because it was the best thing at the time. And so that was the thing though was like, but do we tell people to wait because the PlayStation two or even, well, I think at that point, I think that the, the Dolphin, I think, was still a little ways off. Maybe, I don't think yeah. that came out until like, like like 2001 as a GameCube, right? But like
0: Yeah, November of '01,
2: Right, yeah, so long story. But it was definitely the PlayStation being, you know, the the, the big... But, but honestly, the, the reality was, you know, the Dreamcast was going to be fantastic until the PlayStation 2 finally did come out. And then it was going to take some while for them to fill that library with games you wanted to play, right? So for us, it was like, you know, the math works out to, is it worth... The money to you for this amount of time before you're not going to care about it. Right. And it was like, that's, you know, that's kind of the way we looked at it in some ways. I mean, we were all fans, obviously. I was playing Reddit Rumble every day. I was playing NFL 2K every day. That was the interesting thing, too. (laughs) Think about this. That was, that was really kind of the first online console. So it was kind of wild. Like, you know, we had these these walls between some of our publications, like, you know, GameSpot's, you know, snake mongoose things with IGN, right? And so like, but but the reality was if you wanted to try this online business, you had to play with people that had this box and had this early code. And so that was like, you know, a handful of people, which included us editors, right? So I remember getting online and playing with, you know, editors over at IGN, these NFL football two games at the beginning and it was like you know we had a 56k modem that we were using on that thing because that's was what was packed in and it was like it was wild like it was so weird the first time actually getting it to work and like you know, I, I remember that first morning it took a while for it to go and like, you know, like out of the 3 games that we played that first day, you know, there was only one of them that kind of was really good. Like the other 2 were kind of laggy. But uh, but you know, from that moment on, you you know, as much as we had ever done anything with like the X-band on the, you know, the, the previous consoles or anything weird like that, this was real deal you know, home console online playing. So it was, it was, it was fant- you know It was incredible, right? It was like, it was the future. And then later on, man, when they released the broadband adapter and the mouse and keyboard for that thing, playing people at Quake 3 Arena, it was just ridiculous. Like, you know, you just like, you run around the map, just, you know, mopping people up, right? But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah. So I definitely remember that, that Japanese time period. I definitely remember the US time period. And then I remember really that time period where it was, it was really, just you know, it was basically that 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 yeah. There was just that one brief period of time where it was that that golden moment in the sun. They had Fantasy Star Online, and people were doing crazy loot drops and you know duplication stuff with that thing. And like and the, in the football scene, they you know they did stuff with that football game. That most people, like, you know, EA still hasn't really done well with Madden. And that's, they had these online tournaments. You could create this whole crazy season with you, either you with your friends or, or expand it. Like, that thing by itself was, was wild. But, and then the VMU stuff, you know, the, you know, it wasn't a whole lot you could do on that little screen, but, you know, there was, all kinds of little fun little mini games that people released, and you know, all oh, little cool. secrets and stuff that you could do with that thing.
1: Oh, yeah, the the charm factor of the VMU, like, just did so much for it. Yeah. Just even, even just showing, like, oh, there's my character's little face down there, they're happy to see me, <laughs>
2: right? Oh, yeah, no, that, yeah, that thing was fantastic. I mean, you had Seaman, like, you do, you know, you yell at Seaman through your microphone and, and then take him on the go with the VMU stuff. Like, yeah, there was all kinds of wild stuff. And, and the weird thing was, you know, And this is, you know, not to rush through the Sega lifespan in, in, in one short breath, but like, I do remember later on, you know, when, uh, believe it or not, we were actually in the building, the building we were at, I should say, was where Sega moved to. So it was wild because before that it was just, it was just known as the Townsend Center or whatever. Right. And then when the Sega moved into our building, then it was basically known as the Sega building because they had this big giant Sega building on the outside of it, or Sega billboard or sign. And, um, and it, but it, so that was pretty awesome because then, you know, it made it really easy. We could just walk upstairs, whatever, if we had to do something with them or if they could come down and talk to us. But the the wild thing about that was then later on, once, you know, the ship had sailed and it was all over, I remember they had this like super wild sale, <laughs> and it was like, oh my goodness. Right. Yes. It was like the- super nuts. So like, yeah, they just, they said, Hey, come on up to the fourth floor or whatever and, you know, bring your money. And, and they had a... Uh, they had just had tons of stuff laid all over the floor. Lots of like Sega bass fishing and like the the, the fishing rod and like um, and I remember yeah, it's, I think I bought like a Sega thirty two X or no it was uh, not a 32, what did they call it yeah or a Sega CDX that's what it was you know the portables oh yeah Sega like the built-in, yes yeah. um but yeah so but I, I, I'm I'm brushing over a lot of a lot of a lot of Dreamcast
1: there because you know there was Sabadé Amigo there was so many great Sega Dreamcast games um. But yeah, I do remember um, the first time I heard about that story, the like, you know, oh, we're moving out of the building, fire sale. I think it was uh, Jeff Gerstmann on like a 10-year-old episode of the the Giant Bombcast at this point. And I remember thinking like... I, like that was that that might be my personal uh, like version of heaven is <laughs> the, right? the sega you know the people at the sega building just open up the closet and just oh man that ooh that sounds like a wild yeah. time just like hey we, we can't take it with us <laughs> yeah yeah i mean
2: I, you know, the crazy thing is like i i if i remember right i think they had two hundred and seventy thousand dreamcast still that they ended oh, up selling God. for like wow <sighs> Sixty bucks
1: a piece or something crazy. Oh, wow! Dang. Is that right? Isn't that just wild? Get a <laughs> just build a coffee table <laughs> and a drink. Right? Build a throne. Oh no! Oh man. Especially now in this in in our current day and age of uh, I don't even know what to call it of of crazy people trying to sell any video game older than ten years for oh, <laughs> right. disgustingly inflated costs. How did the video game uh, start? Just the other thinking day. about sealed Dreamcasts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I have now accepted that I'm never going to get those last three N64 games I'm missing. Oh,
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
0: Play, Some Fighter Sculptors Cut is never going to go down, and I have to accept that. <laughs> but what if you could threaten someone? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's 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 kind of it's kind of crazy how much money these games go. I went to the video game store the other day and I saw I don't know what it was. it was a it was like a regular Super Nintendo game. I don't remember it being something special, but they wanted like $180 for it. I was like, "What? Like what
0: is that? Like why is that $180?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a post-pandemic thing. everything is now, you know, two at least two or three times the price it was before the uh virus hit and it just is not going down and it's it's unfortunate it's like collection has now become just completely inviolable at this point
3: tell you something really dumb like this isn't even an old game i saw a copy of a professor layton versus ace attorney in for the 3ds in a local shop for 115 pounds i was like excuse me that's ridiculous It's like, I don't know what these arbitrary standards of how games should cost now. I thought it was just really old ones you'd have to spend over £100 for, but
1: man I, I remember that um I'll have to look it up put it in our our show notes for the audience but that story from uh I want to say it was last year maybe maybe a little bit longer but of the, the, the guys like getting all their games like professionally graded but then the like like conspired together like okay now I'm gonna list this copy of Mario 64 for like $5,000 and you're gonna raise the bid up on it and like at least made me feel less crazy that oh okay OK, there are people just trying to like, you know, kind of like with old comic books and whatnot, like the old thing saying that like, oh, a Superman number one is worth as much as someone will pay for it, which is more every time. But yeah, it, it really is unfortunate because uh, but like you said, there is so many so many games available that like I just want people to be able to play them, and like I would sure hate to think that like someone who wanted to start collecting would just not even bother because it's just so not viable anymore. But there there are, there are other options out there for people. You know we 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 always we always hope that that companies make their games like available, even if that is just digitally through programs. Yeah. Like yeah. just let people play the. Game. <laughs> games don't don't let <laughs> you know don't make it so they have to mortgage a uh, mortgage a house to start a classic game collection
2: <laughs> although you know it's kind of weird when you stop and think about it. there's you know like games like somebody amigo that you do need those peripherals for or whatever or some physical thing right it's like um
1: yeah or like Man, like you yeah, said like seaman yeah. like yeah. that is you, yeah. you, you need that stuff
2: yeah that's that's the only bummer thing to the aging yeah you know I have this obviously this giant collection of stuff here, and it's like, you know, I'm always interested, but always equally afraid to like want to try to turn on some of the old systems in fear that they actually won't turn on, right? And it's like, oh yeah, (laughs) yeah, I wonder. I'll have to do it one of these days, just bite the bullet and see. All right, we're gonna go through them and turn them on, see which ones work and which ones don't. But uh, but yeah, that's that is that is fun for 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 one of these weekends at some point.
0: Yeah, I, I have taken to doing that with my old consoles as well. Thankfully, I haven't had any dead ones yet but it's gotten to a point where it's like okay i have no idea how long the save batteries on all these cartridges are going to <laughs> last so i'm going to start i'm going to start dumbing all my carts and all my saves just so i know they're safe somewhere you know maybe get a flash cart put everything on a st- like a micro usb so i can you know pop it in there and th- i know those will be safe for a good long while i don't have to worry about each one going dead
1: those yeah. original save files—they—they they feel like a part <laughs> of you sometimes. That's true. <laughs> oh
0: goodness! I I need to save all my RPG saves where every character is named
4: Butt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Extremely important.
4: I, I had an incident with my N64 recently uh, before we recorded our April Fools episode about Mario 64, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and, and at first I thought like maybe there's just some dust, something because like the audio was like getting all really loud and corrupted. And then I tried swapping in a couple different N64 games and nothing was starting. So I'm hoping the N64 is not dead. Hopefully it just needs a little like isopropyl alcohol swipe. But yeah, I, (laughs) I really want that sucker to still live. The, the, it it happens. The, the
0: audio you posted from that is about as cursed as it gets. Yes.
4: <laughs> and this is the point in the show where Jeremy slowly fades in and slowly fades out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know I did, too. I I mean, we're, we're kind of just jumping around. But when I, I did, uh, uh, several years ago, uh, replaced my... I don't have my original Dreamcast, but decided, like, if I was going to have one classic console to, like relive that era i wanted a dreamcast and found one and basically fell down the rabbit hole of all of the things that can immediately go wrong with a console that old and so those were some of the first investments i put into it was to replace some you know the uh uh the internal battery and the fan and uh the power supply etc cetera, etc cetera, because and yeah, I mean, again, not to get too, you know, on the depressing side, but I mean, this this stuff is old, and it will eventually quit working. Yeah. Um. So, so it is. Uh, I'm glad there are lots of people who have, uh, I mean, dedicated their lives to like the preservation of this technology.
2: Yeah, there's there's tons of times nowadays where all like turn something on or try to use something and I'd be like, you know, if it doesn't work, I'd be like, why doesn't this work? And then like, it will occur to me like, cause it's 25 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a, I have an old Mortal Kombat arcade machine and it's like, I, I don't know why, cause the power supply just seems to die like once a year in <laughs> it, and it's just like, you know, it's like, you know, I can play Mortal Kombat, obviously in a certain, a, a bunch of different ways. And so, you know, having this big arcade cabinet here is probably not, you know, the most effective way, I don't know, efficient way. I don't know. It's just, I think about that one. I, yeah. Yeah, the arcade machines are, are and, uh, yeah, know, but like whatever, because it's like, you know, they got the, ever since the PlayStation VR, VR2 came out, you know, it's like, that's the other thing. I, you know, I I'd hung on to, like when Gran Turismo 3 came out. I you don't know if you guys remember, but that was, I'm pretty sure that was the one that it was either three or five, but there was the, that was the 3D TV one. So, if yeah, you remember, yeah.
1: Oh, goodness. Yes. Yes. And I was like
2: way into that idea. I was like, oh man, this is going to be just like racing a car. Right. And so I remember, you know, <laughs> like the whole, the Sparko seat. And they, you know, that was the year that Sony was pushing the, the, steering wheel with the shifter pretty hard and so like yeah so i got the whole setup and everything and, and you know long story short it wasn't that amazing like it was pretty <laughs> cool but like you know it was like one of those things that like you know the 3d tv was a good idea and then like i don't know i i, I got the 3d tv if you remember like the other game that worked with 3d tvs that everybody was excited about was i think it was uh quality black ops 2 and so that took advantage of 3d tvs and so i was excited about that but yeah long story short Gran Turismo 3d did not work but but it did. I you know I'm glad I never got rid of the Sparco chair and like the little setup thing because then when the new one just came out for five, it was the same deal. You know, here's a new three hundred dollar or four three hundred fifty dollar steering wheel. You know, you can blow some money on and a fifty dollar gear shifter now and like and like. But but <laughs> but 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 I'll be honest. Like you know that experience with that VR headset in that chair with that you know steering wheel. You know, it's 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 quite unlike anything. You know, I, you know, I play everything I get my hands on, obviously, but, like, you know, some of the, these other experiences are, you know, are something else, you know, like that Gran Turismo in that VR with that, you know, that setup, it, it is its is its own thing, you know, it is it is certainly a, a different experience, so I think that's the thing about games that's so neat nowadays, it's like there are so many different experiences, whether it's that, or whether it's something, some, you know, something like the Twilight Zone on the Quest, or whether it's, you know, yeah, there's so many good games, you know, I've been, I've been kind of Getting my hands on the Switch lately because you know I, I hadn't really been big on the Switch to be honest. It's like there's so many things I play on whether it's a PC, Xbox, or PlayStation Five that like my Switch gets neglected a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I turned that thing on the other day and you know, man, you know, Mario Odyssey is fantastic. Yep. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, I freaked out the other day speaking of old stuff. I uh, I, I don't know if you guys ever got into any of the old pinball games, but there was this one that was called The Getaway. High Speed 2 from Midway. And it was like this fantastic pinball game. But like long story short, I, uh, you, know, you know, I you know, I'd, I'd played like Pinball FX and whatever. But somehow I had like not, it had slipped by me that this one game was available on, I think it was like, there was like two versions. It was like one version was on Pinball FX and one was like Pinball FX 3. Anyways, like when I first saw it, this is like literally like a few days ago. When I first saw it, I freaked out and I bought it on on Steam not thinking, that I would find it on the console in some kind of way, shape or form. And so I was playing it on my PC and I was pretty happy. You know, I was pretty excited about it, but like, you know, my TV experiences, is, is just, you know, better to be honest. Anyways, long story short, I started, uh, I know, it, it occurred to me at some point that like I should look over in that direction. And sure enough, it was available in this other Pinball FX3 version or whatever. The, the crazy thing is the games, because you know, there's a free trial, so I got to try it. But the crazy thing is there was a slight difference between the games. I don't understand it. It was like one was, I mean, you could clearly see that they were like the same like like you, you know they like start up the same and everything but like the 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 difference between the two builds was like one was like darker one was brighter and i didn't and I, I you know i'd argue that maybe the physics were slightly different but um but yeah then i you know the next thing i knew is i just spent you know 20 bucks right because i had to have the other one so i bought you know one on each version <laughs> right but then it was like that there was somewhere around there that i started realizing that like what how many times like have i done that? there was you know a few games like that that i've bought in like multiple times across different like platforms or whatever but like yeah, that's 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 where it gets a little tricky. It's like, yeah, I own this game somewhere, right? Like, yo, like da- you said downstairs, I'm sure I have a cartridge of something that I sh- paid digital money for at some point. That is just probably ridiculous, you know, to top and think about, but. No, I'm rambling. Sorry. <laughs> I
0: mean, if this, this is not the podcast. That's going to call you out for that. I do not want to litigate how many times I have bought Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in some form or another. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, Right. I, I, I've even had like recently, like I was thinking,
0: Oh wow. You know,
1: uh, they announced that second one. I should replay Hades. And then remembering like, well, I have it on the switch, but Oh, you know, they have that PS five version. But the only difference is that it's, it's a higher resolution. But I do have a big TV, so <laughs> uh, right. It really is a you are you are way constantly weighing back and forth, <laughs> justifying like, should I just buy another copy of this game? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. But you know, and that's
2: the thing that I think is magic nowadays. It's like you know, if you had told me 20 years ago, I'd be downloading you know an 80 gig game in like an hour or whatever it is. You know, it's like. You know, no way, right? Like, it used to be for... Oh, yeah. Remember? Uh-huh. You, you used to download an MP3 overnight, right?
1: Like, you'd be like, all right, I'm going to download yeah. this song. Yes. And then, you know, and then now it's just A like, real player video leaving <laughs> your, you know, waiting for your parents to go to bed and dialing up oh, and man. just praying the connection didn't drop while you were asleep. And
3: hoping that someone <laughs> didn't, like, label something else with the oh, same title exactly. just to
1: troll you. Oh, God, <laughs> oh, yeah. yes.
2: Help. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Now we don't yeah. even download music anymore. We just use services or whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. or and just put it, put it in, put it in stand standby mode and come back later. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's one thing about my switch that I, I don't, I'm not so
2: keen on i feel like I, I i you know i feel like my switch never turns off i feel like it's just always on sitting yes, in that that's cradle that's the problem yeah it's right? <laughs> that like a thing you're gonna...
3: supposed to power it down but i'm always paranoid like it, it, when i put it back in the hub it's like it turns itself back on i'm like oh my god right sleep would you <laughs> yeah like... like a <laughs>
0: child <laughs> you're just trying to get him to go to sleep
2: <laughs> i have to just not put it in the cradle just like leave it off to the side or
3: something that's what i've I've taken to doing just to be safe (laughs) right yeah yeah. oh Oh, man
0: like we've talked a lot about you know the dreamcast as a system and all the cool stuff it did but like part of the reason why the dreamcast is so fondly remembered is that it might have one of the best lineups of games for any console period like just so many absolute classics a lot of stuff that you know you just some of it like not as much as i would like has been ported to newer systems there's definitely some stuff but like we still have not gotten a new port of choo-choo rocket for example which is criminal yeah
3: and that's like one of the base games isn't it like you'll get that with a lot of the dreamcasts like as a little disc that you just start up with
0: yeah and like i i am surprised that never made it to like xbla or something because that seems like just such an immediate slam dunk
2: That was one of the games that was certainly one of the big, you know, there was tons of people in the media that loved that game. We'd play this game at like parties and stuff all the time. So, yeah, it's amazing that somebody didn't mention it to somebody and have it, you know, it's got to be some kind of crazy licensing thing or something. Otherwise, you would think it would be all over somewhere.
0: Maybe. Like, I know they made a GBA port, but that wasn't, you know, not quite the same. Oh, yeah. yeah, I I was refreshing
1: my memory. There was an iOS version uh, that got oh. delisted in 2015. I I think that was the last time I remember hearing about Choo Choo Rocket. Oh man, that's a I, I, we uh, we have touched on that in the show, but that is another thing as far as like uh, mobile games seem like such a boon and a potential like curse eventually um because that it's just so hard to preserve that stuff that yeah i had to like look up like oh no there was a there was a mobile version of this game that of course you can't play anymore but, yeah, man, Choo Choo Rocket's great. <laughs> I remember hearing that that original uh, little uh, jingle for the commercial, and it's never left my head since. <laughs> there,
4: was a,
2: there was a game that I used to, not to go back a system, but, like, the game. I actually, when I was thinking about this thing, I actually thought I remembered it being for the Dreamcast. But then I realized, like, no, it was for the Saturn. One of the best Saturn games. There was two really amazing Saturn games I used to play all the time. Was that Bomberman? The Bomberman they had for that Saturn was yeah, fantastic. Saturn Bomberman
0: was amazing. Oh man,
2: it was so good. There was that one, and then Baku Baku. Did you ever play Baku Baku?
0: Ah, I I know, I know of, but I've heard yeah, about I it. Know ba- <laughs> I know, of Baku Baku. I've never actually played it.
2: Yeah, it was like this Tetris game, but like, yeah, it was fantastic. That that game, yeah. Uh, that that and Choo Choo Rocket were the two games we used to play like all the time
0: yeah I th- I think I know of Baku Baku because it came packaged in as part of the Sonic and Garfield pack on PC <laughs> oh,
1: <wow. laughs> yep I was about to say I, I've definitely I can't say I've played it I have definitely seen that that now infamous box art for Baku Baku oh, yeah. <laughs> of the, the scary 3D monkey model yep. oh. <laughs> yeah what about,
2: about Typing of the Dead? Did you guys ever try Typing of the Dead on the Dreamcast?
1: I
4: wanted to ask you about that, actually. Not Ooh. on the
0: Dreamcast. I, pl- I tried the, uh, I think they did a newer version a couple of years ago for, I want to say Steam. I think it was an add-on for like that House of the Dead overkill port or whatever. But Typing of the Dead is another one that was like, what a bizarre <laughs> idea. That's just, right? only Sega could come up with something like that.
4: Especially for something that crazy of a game, I wanted to ask you, Ryan, if you had any like fun press stories about that. Oh, for like Type in the Dead, like, well, the
2: crazy thing is, like, Type in the Dead, believe it or not, was in the arcade. Like, we used to go to Japan arcades, really? And they had, yeah, and they'd had, yeah. And they had it in the arcade, that was where we first saw it. And so, like, it was one of those things that was just like, you know, I mean, because that's the other thing, too, is like, you know, the Sega arcades, you know, with that Naomi hardware, I mean, that was like, it was basically a Dreamcast, right? It was like, basically had a yeah. Dreamcast and an arcade machine, and so, like, um. So that was the wild thing, is like we used to go there, we see like, there was this game. Oh man, you guys probably know exactly what it is. There was a game I saw in a Japanese arcade show that I freaked out over. I loved it. It was called mm, It was called I think it was just like Sonic the Hedgehog or something. What was it? It was a it was an isometric game, two players. Oh, yes, uh,
0: Sega Sonic Sega Sonic the Hedgehog. Sega Sonic. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally yeah aw- used a
2: trackball. Yeah, yeah, the trackball. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that game was dope. And like, you had the trackball, <laughs> and you just make him run really fast. There was that one, and then they also—I don't know if it was the same. No, it wasn't the same show. But that was also later on when we saw Sonic the Fighters. Right, that was an arcade yeah. game. Of- I oh thing, yes, right? and then, uh, but yeah, like to answer your question directly, like. So that, that, you know, I don't know if that, that answers your question at all, actually. But like, yeah, that, that's the crazy stuff we would see in the arcade. There was that. There was like a Fist of North Star game that was in the arcade. But then we'd see, mm. they'd, we'd see this stuff like in some way, shape, or form, obviously ported to the Dreamcast. Like you know, like we didn't think the Typing the Dead was obviously going to come out, but you know, sure enough, it, it, it did. You know, showed up, obviously. But um, but yeah. So I mean, that, and then there was games like Ikaruga. Do you guys remember playing Ikaruga, That yes. amazing shooter. Oh yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that game was really good. Like people bought the Dreamcast just for that thing. And like that was when people like freaked out over the VGA adapter. There was a VGA adapter you could get for the Dreamcast that, you know, obviously made it look a little cleaner, right? Instead of just playing on a CRT. But like um Yeah, so that one, the, the Legacy of Came Soul Reaver game, I remember, was pretty awesome. Skies of Arcadia, yeah. people
0: freaked out about. Um yes, yes. People that, still freak out about that game. That's, I, that's true, right? see Yeah, I would love to see that one get a port someday. <laughs> I,
2: I think I think I did the strategy guide for Code Veronica for like EGM two or something crazy. Like um that game was fantastic. That game was really good. I, I was a huge, you know, Resident evil guy. Um so that yeah, seeing Code Veronica and obviously getting to see and hear everything in the fidelity that the Dreamcast offered for for the first time was, was something special. Certainly, the, 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 the one thing I got to touch on before we, we go any further is the NFL two K games. I don't know if anybody remembers this or not, but you know, I, I thought I saw it in your outline that you know it's too bad they didn't get the the EA stuff. Well, the the one of the reasons why that EA thing was so touchy and and I don't know if you guys remember this was because nfl 2k was so good like that game was so good yeah and comparative to madden at the time like it smoked it right like it was it was better and so like um that was the thing that i don't think anybody you know i don't know if you guys remember but like right around that time like probably like yeah it was like maybe just the second game i don't know if it was nfl 2k 2 i think they called it or whatever it was but like by the time they were coming out with the third one or whatever that's when matt you know that's when ea was like you know enough's enough like they're gonna steal our market and that's when they decided to do that crazy like was it like 25 million I don't even know how much money it was. it was so much money. it was a lot of money it was like a 20 it was like 25 million dollar deal with the NFL to like exclusively own the yeah, license to the NFL right. uh, and that's effectively shut down the NFL 2K series right or any real competition in football um which, yeah. which was kind of a shame like you know everybody gets all crazy about like this recent thing about you know. Was it Microsoft trying to buy Blizzard, Activision or whatever? And I I get, you know, all the the craziness with that. But like, man, back in the day to just let EA just own the NFL exclusive rights to video games. Like that seems like somebody somebody should have said something, right? Like you want to talk about destroying competition? Like that did it. Like those dudes were done. And visual concepts were fantastic because they not only did that NFL 2K series, but they did
1: the NHL 2K and they did NBA 2K. Oh, yeah. I, I distinctly remember, even back then, was not a, like, a sports games kid, but, like, just from the, like, the, you know, talk on the playground, like, the 2K games, specifically on the Dreamcast, were, like, the go-tos yeah. to where, like, I'm pretty sure I rented, uh, or at least, like, put hands on a couple, like, prayed at, played at a friend's house and was like, dang, this is fun, you know, even though I'm, you know, <laughs> just completely uninterested in sports ball. <laughs> Um, but, yes, and I I remembered, like, I guess being – again, it must have been some, like, early coverage, but just following along with, like, how those games went away because EA basically just – you know, yeah. out, bought their way to being the only game in town, yeah. which was, yes, I, I think is is also very unfortunate because, yeah, those those games were super good. Yeah,
2: it was Bubber bummer too. I think they tried one more game where they basically tried it without the licenses and like had just generic names. And I think uh, for the teams and the players and such, or but like, yeah, it, it didn't work, obviously. So,
0: yeah, obviously the same thing happened with Midway when they had to switch NFL Blitz to Blitz the League. So, right. it just everybody yep. kind of feeling the results of that. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a lot of Dreamcast games that you know I really wish would you know there's a lot of stuff that we never even got you know in the West like one of the games I've always wanted to play is Sega Gaga which never left Japan which was an RPG all about you like collecting Sega characters and trying to basically save Sega from going under which may have been a little <laughs> bit meta. <at> the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: oh, i always yeah. remember scenes of that i always remember like there's this whole like really meta part about alex's kid being like you know out of the limelight now that sonic's around and stuff Just like being that. completely it, bitter yeah it's great yeah, I,
0: I would <laughs> love to see like a fan translation of that someday and I, I think one was started at one point never got finished but then like there's other stuff that nobody's ever heard of like Cannon Spike is one of my favorite Capcom games that nobody ever talks about. It was a run and gun shooter where you could play as characters from like Cammy and Charlie from Street Fighter, Mega Man, BB Hood from Darkstalkers, Arthur from Ghosts and Goblins. And it was just like this eight-way run and gun shooter that I think it might have been an arcade title first. I can't be sure. But just this really just really quality, you know, pick up and play experience that I would love to see again come back in some capacity, even if it's just you know as part of some collection or something.
1: Oh man! I mean, speaking of our arcade ports, I mean the Dreamcast and arcade ports. Like, was there a, a better match made in heaven You're not wrong. <laughs> for some of some of those biggest titles?
0: You are not wrong. Like that is. There are people who still insist that as a definitive way to play, you know, Street Fighter Third Strike or Marvel vs. Capcom 2 or Soul Calibur or whatever. And it's hard to argue with them because I feel like that was a big part of, you know, the Dreamcast library. Just all of those really quality arcade ports.
1: Yeah, Soul Calibur was just straight up better on the Dreamcast. Yeah. yeah. I remember that was one of the games... uh, I can't remember. I I might have rented it, played it. That was one of the... You know, it's it's funny. Earlier you were talking about, like, um, you know, thinking... Uh am I going to be able to play this on my, you know, the the TV I've had mm. since childhood, but I remember distinctly seeing Soul Calibur running on the Dreamcast and thinking like how could graphics ever get better than this? Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> having that that logic as a, you know, as a young kid, but just being blown away of like I've never seen a video game do this and it looks so
2: cool. <laughs> yeah, the first time you got to see you know, him flex and the muscles and, and it, it actually changed, you know, shape and like get
1: bigger when he moves his arm. It's like, you know, yeah, that thing was, it was, it was incredible.
2: It was, yeah. it was really
1: good. We, we, we definitely have hours and hours of, of dedicated on this show to Sonic adventure one and two. But I mean, <laughs> that was, that was definitely my launch title. Uh, I, I know the, the other big series that i instantly fell in love with on the dreamcast um Pretty sure, yes, it was after playing it at a friend's house, and I was like, "I have to go buy this game for myself." Was Crazy Taxi one and two? Oh yeah. I, I I don't think I was a super big driving game kid either, but there was just something about Crazy Taxi that like made me want to get good at driving these these video game cars. The, those games oozed so much style, yeah. um, and just the the novelty that they had like real places in it. Like, take me to the pizza hut down the road just (laughs) man so so charming that that whole package
2: i'm a huge sucker for uh for licensed music and so somehow having that offspring song in that game like i don't know
1: yep i was like way
2: into it (laughs) and so yeah anytime they can port something over and have the actual music i'm i'm hooked
0: yeah we we mentioned it in passing before but power stone one and two incredible games like i'm not gonna get i'm not gonna you know start the argument of which one was better one or two but like both of them are just must have games if you are a dreamcast owner they are some of the most fun multiplayer experiences you will ever have for sure
2: yeah again i was like an arcade kid so when Power Stone came out i was uh i was hooked it was kind of the best of both worlds a little bit of shooter a little bit of fighting game a little bit of you know some of the stuff we'd seen before but it was yeah it was, it was real tight it was, it was a good it was a good capcom game by all means
0: and i feel like we have to talk about shenmue just because like for dreamcast owners that that was like something, it felt huge at the time. Like, maybe it tried to do a little bit too much. It's you know, you go back to it through the HD collection, whatever. It's definitely showed its age, but talk about ambitious! Like, holy cow!
1: Yeah. I- I feel like there was very little that was like a Shinmu back in the day. Like, we, it's, it's hard to look back like the, like the obvious, like staying in the Sega family, like you would not have the Yakuza series as it is today without Shinmu. But it feels like Shinmu even like paved the way for like huge games like Rockstar's oeuvre, like the modern GTA's Red Dead Redemption or, or even, uh, Uh, big games like mass effect or like the modern fallouts where you are in a living world and Shenmue just seems like the start of all that. And it was, we, we, we know it was incredibly ambitious, maybe, (laughs) maybe even to the detriment of, of Sega, the company as a whole. But I, man, I love me some Shenmue. (laughs) Yeah. The,
2: I think the interactivity of Shenmue was what was extra special. That and the detail obviously was, you know, Next level, right? Being able to walk into a place and you know, I think it was the Sonic, it was the Sonic the Hedgehog keychain, right? It was a little keychain, the UFO yeah, catcher, the little, yeah, uh, yeah, the little right?
0: uh, capsule toys or whatever.
2: That, and I, I think you could play some of the games that they had in the arcade or, or the whatever they had. But like, um, yeah, it was like that. And then like, you know, but the, you know, the thing for me was, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, there was two sides to the Shenmue fence where I worked at the time, and it was like some of the editors that played that game, you know. Th- fell in love with it and thought that that you know there was so much to it and and for me it was like i just you know i think quick time events it was like i i i would would get frustrated because like i could see like when i'd go race the forklifts and stuff right it's like why can't you just let me do more that's what i wanted from that game i wanted to be able to be active more I guess instead of it being more of like me walking around and, and talking to folks I wanted more of the action side of it right mm-hmm. like like I, you know, I get all excited because like they they teased a little bit like of the virtual Fighter kind of fighting stuff but it was more of based on a you know quick time event than anything so uh but yeah so I, I'll say it like I love me some Shenmue but but I, I always wanted a little bit more of, of of being able to do stuff in that game than than it allowed you to so uh yeah
0: yeah, and you could tell that they obviously had like I think bigger plans for that. Like it originally started as like I believe it was supposed to be a virtual fighter RPG originally, and you can kind of see that in the like roots of the combat. But you know, it seemed like they were trying to do all they could with you know the budget they had, and admittedly, it was a pretty big budget for the time. But well, I'm
2: curious I'm curious to know now that you guys were talking about the Shenmue, what did you guys think when make this thing Kickstarter or whatnot and do the the sequel and all that.
0: I backed Shenmue three. I played it. I was not huge on it just because it's like, well, after this many years, I would hope that instead of trying to stretch out to the full 16 part epic, he originally planned, (laughs) he would just be like, okay, I may never be able to make another one of these. Let's just wrap it up here. And the, it felt like the story did not really go anywhere or advance beyond what they had already done in Shenmu one and two. So it's like it definitely felt me want left me, you know, kinda wanting a little bit in that regard. That's
2: a that's a bummer. That's a bummer. Like and like did he have plans to continue it or was that like
0: The plan, as I understood it, was that when he originally created Shenmue, it was supposed to be like I want to tell 16 part, like the story is 16 chapters long. Like Shenmue one is chapter one. Sh- Shenmue two is chapter two through four or whatever. And I think that. I would have maybe condensed whatever was left in his grand plan so that he could get everything he wanted to do done in three. Or, you know, they put out that Shenmue anime a couple of years ago, which was pretty good. Yeah. Which was pretty good. But that, you know, was a collaboration with Adult Swim and as a result of, you know— WB cutting costs that, you know, got the axe, so they never got to do adapt anything past Shenmue 1 and 2. That would have been a great way to continue that story without having to worry about, you know, creating another huge, big budget game to slowly advance through, just get everything done in however many episodes. But alas. I mean,
3: people just wanted to see the end of the story. I think that's what they invested the money in. That, yeah, they wanted to play Shenmue again, but they also wanted to see where it was going after all these years. And,. He's like, oh, you'll f- you'll find out eventually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's one of those things that is that seems just too impossibly complicated for a a game that any company that is going to invest in it like needs to like get something back in return and i i wish that the game director uh could just like have a perfect world where he could just do whatever he wants (laughs) and you know we we got some version of those 16 parts but alas the i feel like the universe has failed him (laughs) (laughs) i thought it's it's super interesting that there are the dreamcast has a couple of really good like um well i don't know really good i i think code veronica is a really cool uh resident evil game i love that the fact that the dreamcast has some unique survival horror games uh that uh you can kind of only um only play on that like um man, I swear within the last couple of years I have seen people in my social circle rediscovering Ill Bleed, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is just wild to me cuz um that one and Blue Stinger, it's hard to say that they're like super good games, but there's so many like there's unique things there that I'm glad they they're, exist.
0: Same with They're them. very much unlike any other survival horror game of that era just because they're like there's so many bizarre ideas especially in elly that like you just don't see in a lot of other horror games and you know being the podcast we are we have to mention the incredible Zodic the Hellhog boss battle in uh Il- <laughs> yes final boss
1: <laughs> I um I even really want to uh go back and play uh what I think it's just D2 yeah. which is like an action adventure type very very interesting the history of that game um it's it's got I I think i think square but before they were square enix also got into this but d2 stars a digital actor which is basically like a character created to like star in different media and i just thought that was really fascinating and and uh yeah like d2 is another another game uh that's very uh interesting to me and and yeah the fact that i think the i think the version of code veronica i have on my dreamcast is kind of a franken a translation of Code Veronica X that I think was only, how was it, only in Japan and that is like agreed upon like in just social circles is like just the best version of Code Veronica. And which makes it so weird that like even Capcom now like seems to want to ignore that game where, <laughs> whereas I'm like ready to go back and replay it if, now. <laughs> if any
0: game needed a remake in the style of those new RE games, that's the one. That was a good game.
1: The, uh, yes, that that really does feel like the they've they've got they, they got Resident Evil Four the remake. They they did it. You managed to do it. Now the choice is between are they going to go back and remake Code Veronica uh X or try the other equally hard task of remaking five, but we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> see. Yeah. <laughs> Until then we have we have our Dreamcast memories. I, I, I
2: have a, a quick three DO uh D story for you. It was uh Ooh. they had this yeah, they had this press event and it was for D for the 3DO. And it was at the, uh, yeah. what was that place called? The, the Winchester mystery house. And so Ooh. I remember being all excited. Right. So they had us to come over there and they show us this, you know, presentation for this game. And I guess it was Kenji, Eno, you know, right. Kenji, Eno was up there and he was, Telling us about this dope game. And, you know, but I, I just remember watching these cutscenes and stuff and just not quite understanding exactly what that game was, to be honest, during this process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I, you know, it's spooky. And like, here we go, <laughs> the Winchester Mystery House. And then they let us go on this tour, right, of the Winchester Mystery House. And I had never done it before. So I found it obviously fascinating. But, uh, and then they gave me like some little wood placard that I bet you I still have somewhere, <laughs> or maybe a key. I can't remember what it is. It was like a key and a wood plaque, But anyways, it was like some some D memorabilia because they didn't have the game, you know, they were still working on it or whatever. And then it was funny because, like, I, I I don't think that game came out for, like, ever. Like, literally, like, two years or something crazy. It was like so far. Like, it was like when it finally came out, it was like, oh, that's that thing. That's right. that That's the game we went and did that Winchester Mystery House thing for, like,
1: two years ago. <laughs> no that is wild just just looking at like the original d cuz the, the d2 like involved people that 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 worked on that but is not uh connected to it but no just just reading the uh the anecdote that the director of the game um on his way to deliver the game to certification uh like promised he would take out like the extreme like scary violence and like specifically like cannibals and just like did the old switcheroo when it came time to manufacture the game and put the violent one uh to be distributed like behind the behind the people in charge's backs like oh my god that's pretty that's pretty crazy well man It, it seems like that definitely like the wild west of games (laughs) 100
0: i do have to also shout out sega smash pack volume one for i have no idea what even happened with this one like it's first of all no volume two of course but uh (laughs) yeah like this was an interesting one because it was mostly genesis games outside of sega swirl which was one of the first games i ever played that had uh cross-platform play between dreamcast and pc because you could like play oh, wow. over email so oh, wow. like you'd be able to <laughs> oh. send somebody playing on dreamcast could email their play to you know somebody else and they'd be able to pick up on the pc version which is super cool but uh
3: it's like postal chess like where you mail your move over to someone <laughs>
0: uh it had a pretty good Amazing. port of virtua cop 2 but then the rest was all genesis games and it might be some of the worst Genesis emulation I've ever seen. Like if you could see this thing, the oh, sound man, it. <laughs> the sound is just completely off. I'm going to insert clip here. Yeah. <laughs> Everything just sounds wrong. Like the everything's too pitchy. The balancing is all off. And apparently, like this game came out, I believe, the day that it was announced that the Dreamcast was being discontinued. But if you go inside the game, uh, one of the programmers actually left documentation on the emulator they made, like in a text oh. file named after a popular Dreamcast wares group. So, <laughs> I think that is pretty telling about the state of how people were feeling inside Sega at around that time.
3: I just heard about that, it's like a full-on manifesto yeah. talking about the downfall of the Dreamcast, and how, and just, like, oh man, it, like anti-Sony propaganda from this guy, and it's great. <laughs>
0: hey guys, Cyberlink here with a bit of a drop-in. I was uh, actually doing a little more research after we recorded this episode, and I was shocked to discover This was not the only instance of Genesis emulation on the Dreamcast. Uh, As it turns out, before Sega Smash Pack, there was a service called Dream Library that was only available in Japan, I believe it ran from 2000 to 2003, and it was kind of a predecessor to what Nintendo ended up doing with Virtual Console in a lot of ways. Uh, Basically, people would log into this service through the third version of the Dream Passport, which was apparently a CD Dreamcast owners got for free that was used to access online features and they could pay for individual Genesis or TurboGrafx games and then download them to the system's RAM. But since there was no way to save the games, not even to the VMU, they'd basically just have to re-download each time after they turned the system off. Uh, there ended up being around 100 something games total on the service, but they only had like maybe 50 or so at a time, and they just you know swapped them in and out. Uh, they had stuff like Mean Bean Machine, Golden Axe, Bomberman 94, Alien Crush, that sort of thing apparently the quality of the emulation was not any better than that of Smash Pack with very similar, if not worse, audio issues. But I don't know, I still think it's cool that the Dreamcast was once again really ahead of its time with early implementation of something that we now take for granted. I don't know, I just thought that was super fascinating and I wanted to make sure we mentioned it. Anyway, back to the episode.
4: So we've talked about a lot of the different uh, games that are available on the Dreamcast and I've heard some funny stories in... um, in just like the video game uh, writing space about review copies and some of the crazy stipulations that uh, publishers (laughs) will put on reviewers. So I wanted to know if you had any funny stories, specifically like games from Sega for the Dreamcast, of any like crazy stipulations or any like extra weird add-ons that they gave you for reviewing uh, certain games.
2: You know, I would say when it comes to Sega they, and specifically the Dreamcast, it actually was was outside of that stuff for the most part, like I'll say, um, and the reason why, just to give you an idea, is that, like, you know, think about, you know, just a year or two before this with the N64, we were still, like, on cartridges, and the weird thing, you know, a lot of people don't realize is with those cartridges, they have to have those games, like, well, you know, done well in advance in terms of, you know, being able to press them and, and get them out to retail, right? So, like, coming from that world of, Cartridges, you know, and and coming into this world of like these, you know, GD ROMs or whatever they call them for the Dreamcast, they, you know, it was it was interesting because you know they had come off of this legacy kind of way of doing things where you know we we you know that was the fun thing on the when we had the Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, and the cartridge-based systems is because we would get those games, like, man, we'd get them, like, at least six weeks in advance. You know what I'm saying? Like, to make publication for some of the magazine stuff and everything. So that was the cool thing with that. But with the, you know, advent of the, you know, gaming on on the CD-based, you know, platform, it made it so they didn't have to do that. They could burn stuff, you know, pretty quick. And with the the Dreamcast specifically, it was different because the one thing I'll say as an anecdote was that Everybody needed what was called as a boot disk. So mm. the way it worked, the way it worked was if you had a Dreamcast, that the way you would boot up a, a pre-release game, if you had to have this boot ROM, right? So it's basically this disc, it was a boot disc. You put that in the Dreamcast first, turn it on, and then basically the Dreamcast is like, yep, I'm ready to get whatever piece of code you're going to stick in here. And then you put the other disc in and and load it up. So the only thing I could say that was interesting is Sega only gave us like a few of those discs. I think they only gave us like two of those discs. So it was always like this like fight to get a hold of one of those discs because obviously, (laughs) you know, with all those games from all those different developers, there was a ton of us playing different games at any one time, but yet there was only two of those discs, right? So it was always one, kind of trying to get a hold of one of those, those boot disks so you could play a game, or two, you know, like, yeah, it was kind of a bummer because, like, at the end of the day, like, all right, I'm going to take home Code Veronica or whatever so I could do this strategy guide and somebody else, well, I need to do, you know, a review of something. So that was the only thing I would say that was any anecdote directed to, to the Dreamcast specifically with that pre-release software stuff. You know, every once in a while, they would send us something kind of wild, like, you know, especially when we were friendly with the developer, right? Like some of the guys at Midway we knew and some of the guys that... At Capcom, we'd know, and so they every once in a while they'd send us something like, "Oh, you know, we sent you an extra disc just for funsies," and like it would have some crazy thing that they would have done just for you know, like just for fun, like they would have turned something on that only works on that one ROM, you know, that one disc. But most of the time, all that stuff was like pretty kept track of, so it's not like you could put a video oh. of something up that was super crazy and they wouldn't know exactly who it was and so you wouldn't get some of that fun stuff later like gotcha, on. Yeah. <laughs> so but yeah. So that, that that's what I'd say to that director. The, the one question I have for you guys, since you guys are the Sega folks, around this time and not to get totally pulled away from our Dreamcast and other other discussion, but what, what about heat.net, Sega Heat.net do you guys remember that stuff? Like did you guys fool with that stuff at all? Because I remember right like around this time, times. right? Really? Oh man, like like if you guys don't remember this stuff, let me tell you real quick. So for a second Sega thought they were going to jump into the online gaming market with this thing called Heat.net. And it was like this weird, like, if I remember, and I'm working on a memory, but like, if I remember right, it was kind of this weird thing where they had like a collection of games. And I don't even remember the games to be all that, be all that amazing by any, by any means. But they had this collection of games and it was like this online service you basically sign up for for free and then you play these games and you earn these things I think that you know because the whole idea of this heat thing which was like a terrible idea was called he, the, like degrees like earn these degrees and they were like points that you would use but it, yeah it, whatever it was like this big like weird you know hey the internet's cool right we could make some PC games and have people play. Wow yeah. yeah. So if you guys don't remember that stuff like look that stuff up that, that stuff is like a whole little bubble like it's this whole other you know it's this whole other topic but but yeah if you guys are sega fans that that is one piece of sega history that you guys should uh look into and know more about because uh yeah it was wild it was it was it was an interesting thing that they tried to do but like i said it was kind of poorly done at the time and it was right around that time where like things like that anyways kind of were kind of looked you know sideways at because you know it's you know once you build this whole ecosystem and it's the ecosystem you have to live to play those specific games you know what i'm saying it's like pc gamers weren't into that stuff back then they were kind of more into mm-hmm. why don't you send me the game and let me play it however i want to play it you know <laughs> so uh, <laughs> but yeah but there's my, my, my heat.net side story for you. Sorry, go ahead.
3: I mean, that's just Sega in general, isn't it? Like, coming up with all these great things before they're ready. Right. Uh, these, like, really interesting ideas that don't necessarily pan out at some of the, yeah. at the time.
2: Yeah, 100%. That is... Uh...
3: Hence the dream. cast. <laughs>
1: Yeah, just just glancing at at their whole thing for this heat.net thing is like that is what jumps out to me is like, oh man, give it another like 10 15 years and this absolutely would have <laughs> like gotten people hook line and sinker, yeah. but not for this particular time. Like you said, especially PC gaming like back in the day. I mean, I, from what I know, it was very much a, like a big focus on like the, like the share, the shareware and freeware thing. And like, I, I mean, everybody like, especially nowadays brings up the funny, you know, the quote from, uh, uh, Secret of Monkey Island, you know, like, never pay more than $20 for a computer game. And that, I mean, that attitude was very much like, no, I'm gonna buy, I'm playing this, like, why would I want this weird subscription right. thing or or participate in this to earn points and, like, oh, now that's, like, every, <laughs> every major company has their version of, like, reward points oh, yeah. and whatnot. And, wow, that is super interesting. Yeah,
2: it is. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it, I, I remember they made a big deal out of it. We went and they were like, here's where we do the heat.net stuff. And yeah, it was like a whole thing that they were behind for about three minutes because I don't remember it lasted very long at all. Like it was literally just like, if I remember right, it was like literally maybe two years, maybe three years. But it was like right at the at that same time period, which is actually kind of wild to think that that was happening during any of the stuff we're talking about. <laughs>
3: I do love the Sega model of, hey, here's a cool new thing. Do you like it? No? Okay, something else.
0: (laughs) You're telling me the company that made the Activator would jump between ridiculous ideas? (laughs) (laughs) Perish the thought.
1: Yep. Uh. I mean like we said it's they they were really good at doing that until it finally caught up with them which I mean we we kind of touched on it I feel like we we would be remiss without going into uh you know one of the one of the factors of the Dreamcast was that it was stupidly easy to just burn your own games for this even even I I did not have access to a computer that could do it when I had my original Dreamcast but by the time I by the time I picked up another one for collecting purposes it was so so easy
0: (laughs) <laughs> I, I said that I didn't get my Dreamcast until years later. Uh, friend of the show, Derek, got got it for me for my birthday one year, and it is telling that when I got it, I got the system, I got two controllers, I got a VMU, and a spindle of CD-Rs.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's awesome. That's kind of the problem, because this is like doing the CD, CD-ROM stuff, yeah. like, while well, uh, PlayStation 2 was doing DVDs, so mm. I don't think people had a handle on
1: DVDs back then, but CDs, yeah. Or, or even like I believe, like they they didn't even have their own proprietary like disk format they like had even a GD
0: at, um, ROMs which had a little bit more capacity.
1: Oh, okay, uh, yes, that's a little which, different. The the only way, I mean, uh, which I believe, like the only way to solve that is you you just tweak some settings in your CD burner to get Pretty it much. to overburn a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> and that bypassed <laughs> that. Oh, goodness. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to say, like, like, like we've made clear, Sega was already like on on a downturn, and this just didn't help. I, I I don't know if just because knowing like, hey, you had to know this, you had to have the internet, you had to have several resources. It's hard for me to say that this, it, you know, the fact that piracy was just easy if you had the stuff like put the the final nail in sega and the dreamcast it was one of them (laughs) Yeah, it
0: it, it really feels like death of a thousand cuts in a lot of ways it's weird because like the the one thing
2: i would say is like we were talking about this earlier and it's like if you go back to that original you know i think i think if you really look at that first that first nail if you wanted to say it right it'd have to be right like tell me if i'm wrong but it would have to be the original playstation and the saturn you know not to go back to that same day but like that, 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 yeah, I think that's where that, that happened, right? Like, that's that PlayStation coming, and
0: the big yeah. reveal. The two, like the, big the 299 reveal the mic drop was, yeah, just cannot be overstated yeah. how much that hurt Saturn,
1: yeah. And we, I think we've even talked about how, uh, again, it's all like hindsight now, and and I, I really love people that have like documented this, but the fact it was also the surprise that the PlayStation started to go so hard for 3d stuff. Yeah. And I believe like the, the best looking games and like the, the, the software that the Saturn was like the best at uh, uh, putting forward was 2d stuff. Cause I mean, that was the Genesis, like, like, of course it was. And, it, it sure feels like sega like said oh no we need we need a 3d thing we need to start making a 3d sonic we need to start forcing 3d stuff onto this saturn that you know it seems like wasn't super made for that and then of course that that i'm sure like you said like they were were uh it seemed like they were in the planning stages of the dreamcast even then and yep that just feels like another one that they were they were just stumbling to catch up with with the huge monolith that was sony entering the the console wars absolutely yeah that's ram carts i remember the
2: the sega saturn became incredibly important when uh those capcom games came out that utilized them right because it was like what was it there was like like, there was like the cat there was like one of the marvel versus capcom games or whatever and it was like if you had the ram cart i can't remember like it would like maybe you needed it to play i can't remember what it was but it did something to make it extra awesomer i can't remember what the what the ram cart did (laughs) it was like the ram pack for the n64 kind of
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean we we've also talked about just the the, really when you look back at it like sonic jam and the uh, the saturn port of sonic 3d are cool like we we've revisited those i i mean it's hard also not to think that another big blow for sega was not being able to put a a, a quote-unquote real sonic game on the saturn and like the the <laughs> incredibly tragic development history of sonic extreme yeah, like yeah. literally almost killed a man yeah <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the 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 poor Dreamcast just oh man. It <laughs> it's it, you know we 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 try as far as like we we definitely try and separate our like our nostalgia uh from like you know the the very corporate business part. It is hard not to just get a little heartbroken thinking of like the little Dreamcast thinking this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And then like you said that PlayStation 2 is right. basic basically like tying up the sword of Damocles until like the, <laughs> the end is near for you. Little Dreamcast. Right. Yeah. Oh man. I,
0: I am curious, Ryan, like in the months leading up to the announcement in January. 01 that they were pulling the plug. Like, did that come out of nowhere or did you like sense in the, or did like people sense in the lead up to it that like something is wrong?
2: Yeah. I mean like, you know, I mean, I, if I'm, if I'm honest about it, I was, you know, thinking about this, and I was trying to remember, you know, exactly how it all went toward the end. And it was like, you know, you know, like I said before, in some ways, whether it was because of the DVD player and all that stuff, you know, we knew that to some degree that machine was, you know, some of us felt like dead on arrival, right? And it was like, you know, the, the question was, how long would it last? And like, you know, would it be able to coexist alongside of the of the PlayStation Two later, or would it just get, you know, rolled up in the carpet and swept away, right? And like the the reality was that yeah we knew we knew because basically if you look at who made games for the dreamcast there was no there was no there was no third party that was going to not Make games for the PlayStation 2, right? So that was the right. thing that was like the thing yeah. that we all knew was like, as, as good as, as Sega was at making games, they were basically going to be the only exclusive developer of any games for that system. So the chances there was going to be something that somebody was really going to need a Dreamcast 4 to play was pretty slim. And, that, and not only that, but the idea had already kind of come up, I think, around. You know, like, because we are, you know, what happens when the Dreamcast goes away? Does Sega just go away or do they start making games for the PlayStation and everybody, you know? And it was like, so we kind of, we kind of knew it, to be honest with you, I would say. You know, so no, I wouldn't say it was a surprise by any means, um, you know, especially because we knew that they were losing somewhere. And, and I don't know if you want to do some conversion for me. I don't know why I remember this this way, but I remember it was like between 30, I want to say it was between 30 and 100 pounds per Dreamcast they were losing, right? So like, so we knew that that was, and, and we knew that Sega didn't have the deep pockets of somebody like Sony, right? So we knew that they couldn't, with you know, and not only that, but they were like, you know, we all said, they were already coming into this thing on a downturn with that Saturn cell being what they were. So so long story short, yeah, it was just really, just really when, right? When was it going to happen? When were they going to say no more? And were they going to throw the towel in? So yeah, so I would say, you know, I guess the real question is at what point during that cycle did we, know, you know, the end was going to come, you know, you could make an argument. Some of us felt like that was the case when they announced the thing really, you know, or once we knew what the PlayStation 2 was, certainly. And then later when, you know, when you got down to that date, I don't think there was anybody that was surprised. It was really just uh, a question at at that point by when. The other thing that's interesting is, is right around that time, I don't remember where this fits in, to be honest, but like the Sega old offices. So before they got to that Townsend building, their old offices used to be right over by EA's over like this place called Mm -hmm. like twin dolphin drive, I think. Right. And there was like this picture. I think I might've been there and I don't know. I don't think I took it, but I think I was there when it was taken, but there was this picture and it was like, it happened to be the day that they were leaving that location or started to leave. So they were literally, it was like a big, like trash, you know, like a big dumpster outside and they were literally throwing these like you know, you know, you could see stuff that was like, like marketing material. You know, you could clearly see it was Sega stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it was yeah. like, so I, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah. So as far as it being a surprise, by no means was it a surprise, but it was particularly sad. You know, seeing Sega stuff get literally thrown in the garbage, right? And um, I think that was the thing. Was like, it was, it was an end of an era. It was end. You know, like I said, you know, I could chronicle my life by the the Sega Genesis games or the or the the Sega, you know, the Sega Master System games that I was playing at the time. Or you know, certainly later, even with some of the Sega Dreamcast games, but but you know once that was gone, that video game maker that that is now just a just a you know just a software maker, and so I don't know, it's it's really weird, and it was it, it was de- definitely sad at the time. Um, even now thinking about it, you know I still get a little weepy. Right, it's like like <laughs> my my, yeah. my homie Sega, like yeah, it's weird. It's it's weird to think that they're not. Like sitting here talking to you guys, it's weird, you know? Like, yeah, having my head, you know, in that time period, like, I would have never guessed. You know, you could have asked me. It would have been right up until probably when the PlayStation Two stuff was coming. Right, that's probably when I knew. But up until then, like I would have never guessed that we wouldn't have Sega in some form in video games in the future in some way, shape, or form. You know what I'm saying? And I guess we do to some degree, right? But but you know, in terms of hardware and stuff, like it just never occurred to me that they wouldn't be. And then now, you know, you know, skip ahead to like probably what the last two or three years, you start to even see them shut down some of the arcades in Japan, and that's been, I would say yeah. that you know yep, yep. Some, of, some of the final sadness is you know you know that that arcade was you know iconic that certainly that one like as soon as you step off the train i think at akihabara you see those tubes and stuff and
0: yeah the giant club sega sign
2: yeah yeah it was like those places were fantastic and like you know i think I and mean, it's the thing it's like there, there were so many different parts to sega i think a lot of people you know either think it was the box under their tv or if it was you know maybe the some of the cartoons they watched or now you know some of the movies or whatever but but for me it was like you know it was all encompassing right like it was like I, I think i bought sega Serial at some point right um but yeah so yeah so i don't know like uh yeah it's 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 weird to think that they're that they're not one of the the titans and and that's that's the crazy thing is like sitting here and talking to you guys and and thinking about all this stuff it's weird there's, there's so much talk about the playstation and the xbox it's weird when you actually look at the sales and, and realize how dominant nintendo is with their system and their games yeah it's just wild to see that those dudes somehow figured it out made it through like i said unfortunate timing unfortunate you know hardware gambles i guess right that that that's what it added up to but um where nintendo kind of i think maybe took the the turtle you know the the, the hair versus the the turtle right it took the turtle course a little bit didn't go for those big gambles and somehow ended up at the top of the mountain like it's pretty wild to think how many switches exist out there and how many people you know how many people have bought mario kart 8 there's 55 million copies of that game got sold right like yeah it's just it's oh, yeah. it's not so
1: it's really wild For for Sega, it sure seems like like uh, I'm sure there are a lot of factors, but I remember learning something not too long ago, and I can't remember if we've brought it up on the show. But there there was a guy when I mean when Sega announced the Dreamcast is kaput, like we we don't really know what to do, but. Um, they—I know they had some some shakeups. Uh, I think they had to oust like Sega's current president, but one of the holding companies that had the majority share was um uh, headed up by Isao Okawa, who was uh seventy-four years old in in back in two thousand one and. Like, when he came in, like, they basically assumed, like, okay, we're gonna get gutted, we're gonna get, you know, sold off, this is it for Sega, and instead, like, basically gave them a huge loan, and when he died of cancer, like, the following year, left all of his stock back to the company, and... You know, like, business is complicated and also, like, (laughs) is genuinely depressing, especially these days. That just seems – that sticks out to me as, like, that dude was a real one. Like, believed in that company, thought they they deserved to continue to exist. So, like, yeah. I mean, a poor one out for Mr. Okawa for – sure seems like a thing that he did not have to do. Like, he – that was a lot of money that kept Sega afloat. Um, and allowed them to continue as a software company.
3: I don't want to assume anything about this guy, but he feels like one of us, like, desperate to keep and going. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I don't know about your... I, like... For me, I never thought this was coming. Like When I was a kid, I was like, oh, Sega? That's just one of the guys. They're, they're never going anywhere. Yeah. Like I really yeah. thought they would yeah. stick around, but but now it's like, yeah, it's Nintendo's still around, and then there's, there's Sony and Microsoft. I remember when, like, I sometimes go back to seeing what people online were saying when Sony was, like, introducing the PlayStation, and people were like, oh, Sony, huh? Yeah, stay in your lane with your Walkmans, but it turns out they've got a pretty big
0: lane. <laughs> and then they did the same thing with Microsoft when they tried to you know enter the yeah room. exactly yeah.
1: no i mean microsoft that that is the i mean we could probably do a whole other discussion about how microsoft for a short while tried to make the original xbox the dreamcast 2. <laughs> yeah. with all those yeah. ports and 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 stuff like that and i think eve i thought i heard oh, i'll have to double check my source on that i thought that like even at the time when the xbox was coming out that it they were trying to get like backwards compatible yeah. with dreamcast discs that is, that is
0: the story as i've heard it and i know that uh if you remember uh xbox's game room for the
1: oh yes apparently
0: <laughs> that originally started as like a, the first question they asked was, "What if we could do a Dreamcast emulator?" But then they expanded uh-huh. the uh, scope of that, and Dreamcast got dropped entirely from that, which is a shame. But
3: that is disappointing. But the Xbox was the place to play Sega Bass Fishing for a while. That's <laughs> <so>. true.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and Kai, the only place to play Shinmu Two in North America, if I mm, recall yeah, correctly. Yeah, sure.
0: I did look into things a little, and there were a lot of Dreamcast games that just never made it out just some of the ones that caught my eye uh, Age of Empires 2 uh, Half-Life that's a pretty well known one uh, Super Monkey Ball there was a Castlevania game Max Payne mm. I didn't know about this but Fable started as a Dreamcast game
4: oh wow, wow. interesting
3: no. Hearing about it, you'd think Microsoft is yet another person who wanted Sega to stick around, like in a weird way. Yeah, like even though it was through their own console, they're like trying to keep the legacy alive. Um, that's funny to me. Like lots of people do apparently,
1: because the Dreamcast did have that Windows-based browser, so they were—I mean, they were in the in the trenches with. Sega. I,
2: I think the operating system was like Windows CE or something, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think it was a custom version of Windows CE. Yeah, yeah.
1: I I am glad at least we've we've paid lip service to it, but that there is a pretty even even today, like a still pretty large like Dreamcast preservation and modding. Uh, just community i know i have quite a few in my personal system i've got the you know replace the battery people have got alternate power adapters and i mean the big one and <laughs> i know i've mentioned it before it's my white whale but the full like native hdmi conversion that requires lots of soldering but oh man those games look beautiful on those uh, the HDMI uh, Dreamcast mods. And um, I'm just glad that stuff is around period, like the the SD card mods and hard drive mods that let you put those games on there and not having to deal with discs because those poor, poor 30 year old disc drives (laughs) are starting to cop out. But Mm -hmm. um, and the Dreamcast has joined the echelons as like a cool retro console that, that (laughs) you know, people make cool t-shirts about and whatnot.
3: You know, I think people go back to their Dreamcasts even now and occasionally have to bleach them because they've inevitably
1: turned yellow <laughs> over, over the years. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've got a controller that <laughs> I've been debating doing that treatment to.
0: <laughs> Honestly, like I am impressed like how much you know homebrew stuff there is for the Dreamcast, both, you know, the hardware stuff like you talked about, but also just a ton of homebrew games. Like I one I recently got for my Genesis that's also on Dreamcast, uh, "Pure Solar and the Great Architects. I really like that one a lot. It's a mm. really cool kind of story-focused game. Uh, Xenocrisis, which is a really cool twin-stick shooter that's yeah. on like all the current systems, but also Mega Drive and Dreamcast and I think Neo Geo, stuff like that. And it's just cool that people are still making games for this thing even years and years after it was discontinued. And like one homebrew project I'm really excited for that I backed on Indiegogo is something called the VM2. It's basically a new VMU unit, but it fixes everything that was wrong with the VMU. So it's got like a backlit screen, a rechargeable battery with USB-C support, uh, a micro SD slot so you can basically fit all your saves. It's really cool. I think it's going to be out by the time this episode is. So definitely look into that because I'm super excited to get my hands on it.
1: Definitely in the collector's market.
0: But like as somebody who, you know, really wants to make sure that my stuff is saved for as long as I can, especially considering that I do need to replace the internal battery in my Dreamcast at some point. I'm getting tired of having to reset the time every time I turn it on. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, it's like this feels like something that I'm surprised it took this long to do because it's just a really cool project. I'm glad that there is going to be, it is, I think it is going to serve to increase the longevity of the Dreamcast for a good while longer for those hobbyist fans who are willing to invest. I'm looking at it right now. It's like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to order one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep, it's yep, super awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Man,
1: I, I love my Dreamcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it is weird to think that we are now 25 years out from the Japanese launch. because, In a lot of ways, like I know it was when it was, but it still feels very fresh in my mind, like that hype cycle leading up to when it came out.
1: I, I don't remember how I found out the news that it was being discontinued and that Sega was not you know going to make any more games for it but I know it was after I got Sonic Adventure 2 which released like mid 2001 and so when I finished that game I remember I think I was yeah I think it was 11 by then but like little 11 year old me like finishing Sonic Adventure 2 and genuinely thinking this could be the last Sonic game (laughs) 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 thankfully you know would only have to wait until later that year before they were like oh and now we're we're putting sonic on the gamecube (laughs) and then i had to get a gamecube
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious like if people playing today like if they were to go back and you know try out a dreamcast for the first time do you think like I don't think they would ever be able to recapture the same magic that all of us experienced when we first played. But I do wonder if there is something to be said for going back to the Dreamcast in this day and age and whether people who might not have grown up with it like we did would still get something out of it in the same way that like, you know, we still go back to, you know, NES, Super NES, Genesis games all the time. And you know, you still see some Dreamcast games get re-released, you know, Sega will never not have Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 available in some <laughs> form or another. But I'm curious if that appeal would still carry forward to the people who did not live through it like we did. I think that's
2: a good question. I think the answer I'll give you is is yes and no, like depends on the experience, right? Like if you've played Everything like you know we have up to to now, and then you try to go back to you know see a Dreamcast if you've never seen one. But you you know yeah, playing the new stuff is hard to go back and then play that that old thing. But if you had somebody that was younger, certainly who didn't have a lot of experience with some of the older games or certainly the newer games, and you put a Dreamcast in front of them, I think that yeah, I think they would find it just as magical. As, as us but but you know like we're so spoiled today right we're so spoiled with the the consoles and the graphics mm-hmm. and everything that we have today that i think that's the difference right is if if you're exposed to that stuff the new stuff it's really hard to go back and, and see that dreamcast and experience mm-hmm. that magic but if you did have you know a younger you know child that that was somebody that you were going to introduce to video games you know in that fashion right kind of in that way that you were going to be like all right i got a five-year-old kid and He's at the point now where I feel like he's ready to move up to, you know, the Dreamcast or whatever the age is. You know what I'm saying? If you walked him up like that yeah. instead of just plopping him in front of the PS five and being like, Here you go. You know, I think that would be an interesting way that that would I think you would be able to see they would be like, you know, I think those kids would freak out, right? They'd be, like, Oh my God. You know, Sonic, you know, I think they would just, yeah, lose their minds just like any but but, you know, that exposure to anything else which is obviously almost impossible right to get away from yeah t- from today's stuff well you, know? you
3: need like an age amazement scale for kids like what game yeah. what <laughs> system is it is going to blow their minds uh all right you're about age 8 maybe the dreamcast you're you're ready for the dreamcast now
2: <laughs> you know i was playing arms the other day on the switch and it was funny cuz like you know that game's not super complicated, right? That game's pretty straightforward. Yeah. If if anything, I'd say it's it's actually probably targeted for younger audiences. But like, uh, but yeah, that game looks fantastic. It, you know, it plays really good. I, I, wouldn't, I would I would put that in front of anybody, really. But but um, but yeah, like I, I guess you know my analogy there is the fact that like I think a lot of those those older games were simpler in some ways, right? Like I think you know we've evolved our taste in some ways and those games have evolved with us so i think that's that's the magic that that young people can still get a hold of with those games is that uh that they are they are built you know in a different kind of way than a lot of today's games are
3: i think the dreamcast in a weird way at the time it was like revolutionary but now it's got that sort of like shonky charm of old retro consoles so it's mm-hmm. the, like the people these days who are really like into oh man i miss the old low poly days you know they could go back to a dreamcast and be utterly charmed by it so I suppose there's that.
1: Yeah, I, I that that was what I was going to bring up is there does seem to be, and I don't think it's just amongst like old heads like us that are <laughs> like pining for for games that look like old ones we used to play. It it sure seems to be getting to like like the younger generation as well. Like I have a um uh you know I have a younger sister who is like uh 15 years younger than me and she is just now getting into gaming like she has her own like uh, gaming laptop and she plays games like with her her boyfriend and she is still like picking up stuff like stardew valley that is uh very much trying to invoke like a classic pixel games and like older games um that are using uh now we've kind of seems like we're moving into an age of like retro is not just pixel but retro is like chunky polygons and I feel like we're just now starting to get like like developers are just now being able to to get what made those games so charming so I I also have hope that like people younger than us like can could still go back to a Dreamcast. and I think I always say this I would love to like do my best to make sure they get like the best experience possible like (laughs) you know if I was going to get them a dreamcast i would be like okay you can have mine which is modded and has all the games on you don't have to worry about discs you don't have to worry about hooking it up to a you know a modern tv uh, and try to sidestep, like, any possible, like, uh, problems they would trip over to give them, like, the best Dreamcast yeah. experience. But I I do deep in my heart believe that, like, yes, these these old consoles and the Dreamcast especially, like, could still be somebody's first, like, forte into those kind of games. But I mean, when it's got that many good games on it, you
3: know, that's, I think that's the thing. For sure. Yeah,
2: I mean, that's, the, that's been the mark of any truly great system, really, is just that list of games, right? That that you know what, what can you play on it right it really doesn't matter about that hardware so much as it is you know what are the good games for it and i think that's the cool thing about you know being where we're at now in terms of our age and experience with video games is that you know there's so many good games you know stretched across the landscape of consoles over the years that even today it's like you know like we're talking now and it's like all i can think about is like man you know what did i ever really get that far into you know X game, you know, it's like you know, so it's like, yep, yep. <laughs> so it's like you know, the only thing I, I get afraid of is like, if you guys ever saw, there was a really old Twilight Zone episode that was super dope with uh, what's the guy's name that was Rocky's Rocky's trainer? Um,
1: um, oh, oh yeah, uh, um, Bur- Burgess Meredith. Yeah, Burgess Meredith. Yeah, and
2: at the end of the episode, yeah. if you remember, I don't he know was how like, I
3: pulled that <laughs> <laughs> that like, name yeah, at the top good of it. my head.
2: Let's <laughs> The, uh, if you remember the whole episode to him about wanting to have time to read, like his, he was like real big, oh yeah,
1: what a classic, right? Right, right. And,
2: then, and then he gets to the end, and his glasses are broken, and he can't read any of the books because, like you know, but he has all the time in the world. That's that's the only yeah. thing I get freaked out about when I think about the games that I still have on my to playlist. Is I, you know, I'm like, man, like, am I, I going to run into a an age where I'm like, you know, my eyes or my my reflexes or whatever it is, right? It's like that's the only thing I I, I wonder about is like you know, so I I literally do every day. I I swear I I push myself to play some games that I might not otherwise play just just so the, you know just in the haps that something. Tragic happens. I don't want to be like sitting here and be like, man, I should have really
1: fired up that, <laughs> yeah. you know,
2: the copy of, you know, Manhunter for the, the Wii or whatever,
1: you
0: know. <laughs> but,
1: uh, I, yes, I, I have had that. I feel like it's, it has only been recently within the past, uh, you know, few years or so that I've really tried to, in all my media tastes, tried to like look outside of what I'm used to. And yeah. like, especially for games, I would not have played some of my favorite games of all time if I hadn't said, oh, you know, no, that doesn't look like my kind of game, but people told me to try it. And like the two that stick out to me are like Fallout New Vegas, which I I was just not a big like RPG or like shooter game person. Um, And I I gave Fallout New Vegas a try and recently like Disco Elysium. Like that game might like just be forever etched in my heart as one of the greatest of all times. And I probably never would have played it if someone wouldn't, you know, had spoken its praise and i decided to step out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. and now i now i want to try more games like those and yeah it just it just opens your horizons and, and yeah the downside is like you are for you know if you think about it too hard you're forever thinking like i've only one <laughs> life to live <laughs> <laughs> it could be a good problem to have yeah. right right yeah it's
2: a good problem to have. like you know the other problem i would say is new to my gaming life is uh there's so much stuff to play that that to be honest it's the first time which is just wild to think about this last couple years it's the first time in my gaming history that i've bought games that i still haven't played like i hate to admit it but it's true like you know like i'll say it out loud and and usually there's a reason I'll, i'll say that out loud usually there's a reason so like for instance like it was uh i think right around the well it's kind of sometimes there's not all right so like resident evil I think it was like 7 or like Village or whatever it was. There was like mm-hmm. like somebody said like it had some bugs or whatever after launch, so I kept on putting off playing it. And then, you know, and the other one obviously it was like that was that, uh, oh man, I can't even remember, Cyberpunk 2770 or whatever, like Cyberpunk. yeah yep. I bought that one and I kept on putting it off to play it because, you know, they said there was issues with it. And so I, I, I still have yet to fire up like, that game and really play it at all, like, other than the first, like, five minutes or whatever. There's that, but, you know, and I'll spare you, but there's there's a short list of, of games that I have bought in the last two years that I still have yet to actually play longer than, like, the first five minutes, because I'm afraid it was broken or something but um and then the other thing i'm doing really weird lately too is like i've gotta uh, like sometimes do it where it's like if it's a game that i've been like waiting for i'm not gonna do it with zelda but but like god of war 2 for instance (laughs) god of war 2 for whatever reason like even though i was like super hyped and like waiting for it to come out like the minute it came out and everything like somehow and i played like the first i don't know hour of that game at least two or three times like somehow it's like I don't know, like, it's just the weirdest thing. It's like, it's gotta be the right time. Like somehow, yes. for, for like certain <laughs> games, it has to be like the right time. Like everything has to be just right. And somehow that really hasn't happened for some of these games for me. And like, it's kind of driving me crazy. Cause I will play other games, but I, you know, things have to be just right to fire some of them up, which is just bizarre. Like I've never had that happen to me in the last, you know, except for the last couple of years. So yeah. weird.
3: I mean, games are a time investment, you know, you have yeah. gotta be like, okay, this is the time I throw myself into this one and it's going to take me
1: many, many hours. So it's, it's a bit intimidating sometimes.
2: That is true.
1: I, I feel like that is a, that is a part of our shows, uh uh you know, mission statement that we don't focus on a lot is the like, Yeah, man, we are, we are (laughs) older than some, I won't say older than most, but yeah, like playing playing games like does change when you when you yep. when you get older because like it's you know that you go back to the old thing it's like growing up as a kid you wish you had just the unlimited resources and time to play games and then when you become an adult and you know start working and being able to like spend money on whatever you want and then you're the thing you don't have is like all the time in the world anymore and Oh, ah, yeah. it's, you know, it's not, for me, it's not really depressing. It's more of just, like, wistful. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just the, the changing of the seasons. But, hey, that's that's part yeah. of what this show is about.
2: Yeah, I hear you. Like, the, like I think that's it. Right? It's, like, deciding how best to spend your time, but it's not necessarily with the game that looks the best or, or necessarily even plays the best. I guess it's just the... The games we love—I don't know—it's crazy to think about.
3: Yep, yep. (laughs) Want to dust off our Dreamcasts and play those games again? Yeah,
2: I was trying to think of a
4: segue. I'm
3: glad you had it. Yeah, I want
2: to. I mean, honestly, ever ever since we started talking, I just want to go downstairs and get my Samba de Amigo set back up and get my Samba on
3: right. At least we can all agree that the true legacy of the Dreamcast is her appearance in Sega Hard Girls as an anthropomorphic character that... Uh, <laughs> I
4: don't know. I like Mega Drive better.
3: No, no. Agreed. Uh, that is for <laughs> weebs, apparently. I'm um, just uh, sitting in
4: the corner like, yes. <laughs>
1: I, um, you know, but b- before we start wrapping up, I mean, I-, I can't thank you enough, Ryan, for just, like just telling us all the stories in your first-hand account like this definitely made this episode i i super appreciate it
2: oh no sweat it was like i said my pleasure it's uh yeah like it's not very often that i get to reminisce about the good old days so uh yeah it was it was it was my pleasure by all means so thank you
0: absolutely uh are there any socials or anything else you want to plug before we wrap up uh
2: no i think the you know i think the only thing i'll say is uh i've been neglecting it the last month because uh i've been playing honestly so much uh so yeah basically in all my free time i've been playing games but so the last month you'll find my neglected youtube channel i guess that would be the only thing that i would say go check out is uh my my youtube channel which i guess is as simple as uh youtube.com slash at ryan mac video so if you come over to the youtubes and look for me there you'll find me playing some games and uh doing some videos but yeah other than that no i, I think that's uh that would that would be the only place to come check me out
0: fantastic so you can find me on twitter at cyberlink 420
1: uh you can find me around the internet um as game buddy sometimes with a one two three and i'm on twitter at great job jeremy that's gr and the number eight
3: and you can find me all across the internet, including Twitter at Valero. That's f a u l e r o
4: Gotta love that jingle. <laughs> uh, I, I am Rock the Jake, and you can find me under that name on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. And you can also find me on Twitch as Mr. Rock the Jake.
0: Special thanks, as always, go out to Amy Waters for the use of our theme song from the album Gotta Go Slow. You can check out more of her work on YouTube and Bandcamp. And as always, please remember to subscribe, review the show, share it around, because we've got a lot of really exciting plans for future episodes. And we definitely want to bring as many people along on that ride as we can. So next time, we're jumping forward a little bit to the Game Boy Advance era to talk about a game that I spent a lot of time with back in the day, have not touched in a good long while.
4: Same here. Sonic Battle, (laughs) which... Yeah, it's that game is a blast.
0: That's an interesting one. Like, I remember that being like having a surprisingly in-depth story and also some wild customization mechanics. Like, I'm really interested to go back to this one because I feel like that was such a, you know, time and place thing for me that I'm interested to see if it lives up to those fond memories in my head.
1: I'm right there with you. I'm I'm a little scared because I also remember spending dozens of hours replaying the story and trying to unlock. God, it was card based, yep. wasn't it, for some of those moves? And uh, yep, just, just hoping it holds up to those memories in my head. We'll yep. see. We'll see. Well, the game
3: will be... 20 years old a few days after the release of that episode that we're bringing out so that's the passage of time we have discussed in great (laughs) context
0: but until then i'm cyberlink
1: i'm game buddy i'm Falero. i'm rock the jake and i'm ryan mcdonald Please avoid breaking the glass, as
2: it's the only thing between you and 10 million gallons of freezing wet death.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Words to live by. Yes. This has been The Hill is Always Greener. We'll see you on the other side.